Halloween, my favorite time of year. everybody let's get dead it's time for another episode of the made for tv mayhem show um i'm one of your hosts my name is amanda i'm here with dan hello everyone how are you <laughs> and our friend nate should be joining us in just a while he actually uh had to be somewhere tonight and but he's going to try to come in so he can talk to us about our so we're doing the show in two halves um i should start slowly so we're going to start we're going to talk about the midnight hour which is turning 30 uh this yes. november 1st which i can't believe um I'm really excited to talk about this one. It's a it's a bona fide cult classic. Um, and what's really interesting about The Midnight Hour is I think it might be really the last of the TV horror films to ha- carry this kind of weight and sort of reputation. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's a couple things that came out in the 90s. I mean, there's obviously some thrillers. I'm thinking of the Tori Spelling movies like Mother May I Sleep at Danger that are kind of iconic. But I think The Midnight Hour is really the last sort of grasp at that sort of movie of the week horror thing. And... Um, it's a beautiful little movie. It's really fun. Um, it's got a lot going on in it. It's got a lot of familiar faces. It's it's just really fun. So I'm super excited to be here to talk about it. Awesome. And then in the second half, we are going to just talk about movies we like to watch uh, during the Halloween season. Mostly TV movies, but we're going to have some other movies thrown in here. And we've pulled a lot of sound clips. And we're hoping to make it really fun and nostalgic. And, um, and we hope you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm um, – I, I'm actually – I've got the um, the room set up here. I've got all the lights are off. I've got I've got uh, four pumpkin candles lit, so it smells fantastic. This might be problematic when I have to read from my notes in a little bit. But yeah, I, I was going to say. I think it's I think it's it might start several small fires. Um, I am actually um, I actually have my Bubba mask on. That I picked up from Target. You do not. Mask. I do. And I've got Night of the Scarecrow playing on TV. And I've got uh, the, a movie called Sledgehammer playing on my computer. Sledgehammer is not a made-for-TV movie, but it was a movie made to be watched on TV. Ooh, and, see what you want? Yeah, you like that? And, and the, the, interesting, the interesting thing is that I'm actually not at home. I decided in the spirit of the holiday, I'm actually babysitting some neighbor's kids. I actually, <laughs> there are three of them. They didn't there need a babysitter. They're, they're, they're actually, they're asleep in the, in, in the back. I'm actually sort of in a side room that they let me set up and I'm, I'm recording the podcast and they, you know, their, their parents are great friends of ours and they, they sleep like logs. So I, I put them to sleep about a half an hour ago. I, I haven't heard a thing. So um, I'm, I'm really hoping okay. this will be a great time. 
and um, and I. Oh wait a minute. I think that's their phone. Give me, give me one second. I'm sorry, okay. man. Let me check this. Hello, the Stomatis and Linda Fragiodakis residents. No, they're out. Yes, this is he. What? No, no, I haven't checked the children. <laughs> no, I, I put them to bed about a half an hour ago. They're they're silent. You know, they're they're little devils during the day, but they sleep like angels. No, no, I'm I'm. No, I'm not going to get up and check the children now. I'm actually recording a podcast. Yes, with a, with Amanda by Night. Sure, not that one, the Made for TV Mayhem. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, hey, this guy listened to the first ones. Let me. You you listen to all three. What did you think? If if I, if you don't mind me asking. Needs more zingers. Okay, we're working on that. <laughs> we're we're working on that. Okay. All right, sir. Well, like I said, we're in the middle. I'm not going to check the children. I, I haven't heard a they're they're sound asleep in the back room. I haven't heard a peep out of them. And if I may be honest, you can't leave Amanda alone on a podcast at Halloween. <laughs> she gets really shaky like Laurie Strode at the end of Halloween, and she starts saying, It was the boogeyman over and over again. <laughs> yes. And I have to come in and pretend to be Dr. Loomis. Yep. It's not really that entertaining. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Thank you. Hey, sir, if you want to leave feedback, um, we'll tell you how to do it at the end of the show. Okay, they oh wait, I'm I'm sorry, man. He one okay, I'll answer one question. Jason Voorhees' mom, Pamela Voorhees. Yes. Okay, I'll talk to you later, sir. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Woo! You barely scraped by with that one. We all know Jim Barrymore didn't make it out so well with that question. Sorry about that. I don't know. We got (laughs) we got fans, and I guess they know when to call us. These kids, they they sleep like logs, you know, they're, you know, <laughs> dead out in the back there. I, I think it's going to be fine. So I, I apologize. Yeah, so I'm all kitted out for Halloween. So this is going to be scary-ish. It'll be fun. It will be. It's interesting, too. I'm glad you used the word scary-ish. I know we're going to go into the breakdown. But something that strikes me about Midnight Hour is, so I didn't see it when it originally aired, but my husband did. And he was talking about how that movie really freaked him out as a kid and you know what it's got some really dark moments in it and um i really appreciated uh that because i again like even by the mid 80s i think you started to see that get watered down Mm -hmm. and so it was really nice to see they sort of kept the flavor of the old movie of the week and midnight hour so yes yes while keeping scary ish while keeping it very 1985 very in all the best ways yes yes exactly all right. So um, I guess we'll go into it, but I have the little opening bumper that they played when it premiered. Oh, yes. So let me just put that on. Hold on.
Scary. Oh boy. Scary. Oh boy. Scary. Uh, so the midnight hour, as Amanda mentioned, aired on uh, November 1st, 1985. Was that a Sunday? I, 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 actually... I think it was a Friday because, oh, um, okay. it ran against the Misfits of Science and Miami Vice and NBC. And on CBS, it ran against Dallas and Falcon Crest. And as we all know, oh. Dallas and Miami Vice were both Friday night, uh, shows. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, and, uh, directed by Jack Bender, uh, producer Irvin Zavada, teleplay by William Blech. Blech? Blech? <laughs> I know. And I don't know how to say it either. Music by Brad Fidel, who did the music for The Terminator. Uh, he also Just did the but well, yeah, the really wonderful music for Just Before Dawn. I'd like to actually quote um, Alvin H. Merrill's um, 1964 oh, to 1986 edition, his description of the Midnight Hour. Uh, it's just a paragraph, and then we'll go on to the actual okay. stuff. Crossbreeding a grade B horror flick of yore in a contemporary music video with a 300-year-old teenage witch unwittingly resurrected by her mid-1980s descendants in the latter's high school pals, there's the devil to pay and striking Cheryl Belafonte Harper to perform. Production designer Charles Hughes was the artist behind the imaginative look of Michael Jackson's memorable thriller video several years earlier. Thank you, Alvin. Thank you. Uh, oh, we and so it up. Here, we're done. Yeah, there we go. Um, good night. <laughs> good night. Good night, everyone. Happy Halloween. Um, uh, this takes place in uh, Pitchford Cove, which is in New England. Um, uh, and it actually begins with a scene with a kid putting a uh, newspaper delivery boy putting on like a, one of those, is it Don Post masks? The skull mask like you see in Halloween 3, yeah. Season of the Witch. Um, and he's at the corner of Elm and Maple. Now, um, I don't know if Nightmare on Elm Street had come out yet at it this time. It would have year before. Okay. And, um, oh, you're good. And, uh, and Maple, whenever I think Maple, I think the monsters are due on Maple Street, the Twilight Zone episode. Oh. And, um, and the great thing about it is that as the kid is – I'll, I'll save this till the end. Um, so the kid's delivering papers, and one of the uh, papers is delivered to the local sheriff who, um, who hates Halloween, as all – sheriffs do in this this sort of movie and we then go to a uh, local oh, high wait, school he does doesn't he um oh yes you know how does. much he hates it how much Halloween, my favorite time of year he's very sarcastic about it he says Could that you spot time. the sarcasm in that <laughs> um uh and so then we go to local high school oh no we don't i'm sorry we go to the um the home of the grenvilles dr martin grenville dds or he's a dentist um and his his kids and one of them is Phil, who has wears glasses and is um, uh, has a charming mullet, similar to one I used to have. <laughs> he does from, have from a charming a, mullet. Uh, Lee Montgomery was at the peak of his uh, adorableness in this movie. He, he he really is. I I had that mullet from about eighty six to about ninety seven, I think. So I I never have to have that one again. Really? And, and yeah, well, you know, you, maybe one day you'll see pictures. But um, you said eighty six to ninety seven, approximately. And then I shaved my head, and it was a revelation. Wait, wait, till ninety seven? Appro yes, approximately, yeah, ninety six, ninety seven. Right. Yeah. Well, I got stuck. I got stuck in a style, and I couldn't get out I of it. She did, yes. Um, and um, Phil is uh, they're all talking about the big big Halloween party that's happening that night, uh, thrown by their good friend Melissa, played by Sherry Belafonte Harper at the time, um. Phil wants to go with a gal named Mary, 
uh, but he hasn't asked her. They're all going together. I put that in quotes, which means that Phil isn't going to get lucky if if he if he's trying to go with Mary. Um, and um, his his mom gives him dating advice, and then he talks to his dad, who gives him dating advice. And his dad is played by Dick Van Patten, who's a slightly yes. cr- crazy dentist. And the joy of it is, I just finished watching the first season of Eight Is Enough about three days ago. And though I love Dick Van Patten, but the one thing that always bothered me is his comb over. I just wish he'd let <laughs> it go. Yes. And they give him this huge, beautiful, like 80s big hairpiece in this movie, which is fantastic. And he, he dives right in, you know, like um like Joe Don Baker and Wacko. He just dives right into this silly role with this big hair on. And it's 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 you great know- to see. You know what's interesting about the parents, and I wish I'd written some of the dialogue down, was that they both speak in um, cliches. They do. I don't know. Yep. If you, they, yeah, and that's all they speak. So it was supposed to be like a perfect suburban life, and I think yes. that's part of what feeds into it. Mm-hmm. And it and so she the, he contradicts. She's giving him dating advice, and then the dad contradicts her. But they they do it all. I don't think there's one line that's not a cliche that he gives. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's really wonderfully done. And um, then. Uh, Phil goes to school and uh, they're in history class and they're all waiting for um, the uh, uh, substitute teacher to show up. Uh, and they're all kind of goofing around. Um, their friend Vinny. Is it Vinny? LeVar Burton's Vinny, I think, I believe. I think so, yes. Um, uh, and uh, Mitch, played by uh, DeLuise. Um, Peter DeLuise. Peter DeLuise. And they're, they're <gasps> kind of jokesters. How could you forget? I, you know what? On my notes, I wrote P. Deloise. So I guess I <laughs> thought that that would be enough. And I was going to say Paul. That was wrong. Um, Don't ever get that uh, wrong. Um, but the, yeah, they're sort of Mitch and Vinny are kind of jokesters. And, and Mary and Melissa are off to one side playing hangman. And that the hangman thing is a ghouls just want to have fun. And um, F- Phil is there setting up. He's doing a history project. Uh, he's setting up a history project. The substitute teacher shows up, and she's played by Lacey Underall from uh, Caddyshack. <laughs> Is that her name? Yeah, that was her character's name in Caddyshack. Oh, her character's name, Lacey yes. Underall. And and I I don't know if I wrote the actress's name down, but I can I can find it. Um, uh, she's it really is lovely. Vicky Cindy Morgan, I believe. Vicky mm-hmm. Jensen. Yes, I think you're right. And um and uh and she leaves the class and basically Phil gives a little um uh Phil gives a little history lesson on the town. And as and, it so happened, one of the most powerful witches who ever lived came from right here in Pitchford Cove. Or Pitchfork Cove as it got to be known because of what happened. And this witch was Lucinda, Grinville's slave, and the great 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 grandmother of Melissa County. Great, great. I know, I know. We all know. It was that old black magic. Thank you. Lucinda brought a terrible curse on the town. Halloween was the best time to do it when witchcraft was at its most powerful. All the legendary demons of hell were loose, and the dead with unfinished business on earth came back from the grave. But no one knows how he did it. Nathaniel Grenville, the witch hunter general, as he was later called, put an end to the curse at midnight on Halloween, and all the demons were laid to rest, all except Lucinda, who was hung in the town square in the early morning hours following Halloween. Okay. Which would have meant that she was hung 300 years from the date that the movie aired. The movie takes place 300 years 
after she released the demons on Halloween, uh, 1685. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, and so she would have been hung the day it aired 300 years previous. Oh, okay. Which is probably why they aired it that day, to keep the demons out. Because yeah. they... <laughs> There's, ABC I, was really watching out for us. I would. They're good. They're good. Um, uh, and so, um, yeah, that, that's the ba the basic backstory. Is um, yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but that that was it. 300 years ago, this crazy crap happened. Um, <laughs> everybody, uh, Phil and all his pals, and one of the joys of the movie is that um, even the annoying characters like uh, Mitch and Vinny might be slightly annoying. Um, and Mary certainly drifts slightly off into annoying, but they're never unlikable. They're always charming characters. And and um, uh, wait, wait, which is the what's the name of the character Peter DeLuise played? Uh, it's Mitch. Yeah, Mitch. not annoying. Not yeah, no, no, not, not annoying. <laughs> it's Peter DeLuise. Uh, yeah, and they all go to the local museum where they have all um like wax figurines of um uh the witch and Grenville and um. And they basically steal everything, and they're gonna wear everything as costumes. And they um, they find a scroll in a trunk, and so they go to the local graveyard, and they decide to read the scroll out loud. But actually, it's it's uh, Melissa Sheriff Belafonte's character who reads the scroll out loud. And she looks like she gets a little possessed as she does it. But then after she does it, she says, "Just kidding." And they all leave, and they go to the they go to get ready for the party, and all this kind of this, that, and the other thing. But after they leave, something odd happens. <laughs> uh, basically, all all the demons from hell come to life is what happens, and um, and some others, and some others. Yeah, we get we we get a werewolf in there. Um, we do get. Um, why am I blanking on Lucinda? Lucinda is there, and she's very, very cool. She's got a long robe on, and she's walking slowly through uh, all sorts of demons. There's, a, there's a great sequence, sort of like inside the coffin, as the 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 zombies and 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 Lucinda are pounding on the coffin, trying to get out, and you really feel the claustrophobia of it. Um, and then there is one weird moment, which is actually po possibly my favorite thread in the movie, which is all of a sudden, out of nowhere a gal who seems to have stepped out of the first two seasons of happy days suddenly appears <laughs> a clear, clearly like mid fifth, mid to late fifties kind of gal, you know, yes. kind of like the letter letterman sweater and the long, long skirt, a little white socks and everything, a hair in her ponytail. She's blonde, obviously. Um, and, uh, and she just kind obviously. of walks, obviously she walks around in confusion as all these demons are let loose. Um, then the movie cuts to everyone preparing um, uh, Phil is dressed up as sort of like a vampire with like, uh, like, uh, I don't know what it is, like silver, he like tinsel hair or something. I don't quite yeah. know what it is. I don't, I'm not sure what his look is. It's like eighties vampire. It's yeah. It's like an eighties sort of like, well, um, pre lost boys. Yeah. If I guess if, if, yeah, it's like a tinselly sort of, yeah, it's, and he's got some makeup on his face and he's got a cool fifties car. That he takes yeah, it's off like to... Liquid Sky meets the Lost Boys. Yeah, exactly. Maybe with a touch of like if 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 like Grace Jones were a geeky white boy or something like that. Yeah, with and then vamp thrown up. in there. Yeah, 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 a little vamp thrown in. Um, and then we see some of the we see um uh, Vinny getting ready. Um, actually, we see Vinny getting ready in a few minutes. I, I've jumped slightly ahead there. Um, 
uh, but uh, Phil Phil leaves, and uh, there there's a there's a great scene where he's driving along and he drives up to a train track as the train is about to come through, and he just sees this dazed young woman dressed as a gal from the fifties. 1950s, by the way, um, just sort of strolling along the train track. And there's a lovely sort of um, uh, dream daydream sequence where he goes up to her and he puts his arm around her and he gets very romantic. But it turns out that's not what's happening. She's she she asks him some questions and she seems a little vague as to what's going on. But they hit it off. They're like, she's I'm sorry. They do. Oh, do you want to hear a piece of their dialogue? You know what? I'd love to. Okay, here we go. Is this Maple Avenue? It doesn't look like the Maple Avenue I know. Uh, yeah. That's a great costume. Get your car. Is it yours or your dad's? It's mine. Neat. Do you always dress like that to cruise? Cruise? I, this isn't for cruising. I, you know, it's Halloween. Halloween. That would explain a lot of things. What do you mean? Oh, nothing. You're not from around here, are you? I mean, I would know if you were from around here. Did you just transfer? Transfer? Yeah, sort of. Uh-huh. She has a sense of humor. She does. She does. She, um, <laughs> I, um, I, I do, like, one of the... The, the the whole film is a lot of fun to watch and and as it is at, at the same time that's being creepy and scary and doing fun stuff it's also rather self-aware so when he says yeah. to her you know it's halloween she gets a look on her face for a moment and then all of a sudden like six trick-or-treaters walk directly in front of her and she kind of looks down at them you know oh that would explain a lot of things and it's <laughs> like okay we're all we're all in on this good time here Right. And um but she wants to go to her home and he says, you know, maybe I'll see you later and she goes wandering off. And then at the moment when he begins to drive away, it cuts to the one of the maybe half a dozen songs in rock and roll history that you can put at any point in any movie <laughs> and it kicks ass. Um and that's Bad Moon Rising by Creedence oh, Clearwater yeah. Revival. And it kicks in, it's such a great song. The last time I did karaoke I sang Bad Moon Rising. Um, did we? And, did you do karaoke in 1997 with that mullet? Um, this was 98. The mullet was gone. Oh, I haven't done karaoke in broke ages. My heart. I'm broke sorry. My I heart. wish I'd done karaoke in that <laughs> mullet. You know that mullet was recommended to me by my, my my grandmother <laughs> back in like 85, 86. I was like, what? Because I usually had short hair before that, and she said, let it grow out in the back. I was like, really? Yeah, that's the style. And I was like, okay, grandma. <laughs> I trust you. She was hip. Yeah, she was hip. She was on it. So uh, um, I have just a, just a non sequitur or a segue that goes nowhere. But I have a friend who has a mullet still, and he's starting <laughs> to lose a lot of hair. And so the front part of the mullet just keeps oh, getting no. longer, and it hurts. Uh, okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, so we uh, yeah we see um, Vinny getting ready. He's dressed up as a mummy. He sprays ketchup on the front of his shirt. Smashes some raw eggs on it. We see uh, Mitch. Yeah, it's super gross. We see Mitch arguing with his dad, uh, who's uh, played by Kevin McCarthy. So we're still mm -hmm. having fun here. Uh, and his dad is a drunk. You could tell he's a drunk because he has um, a, a, a glass of booze in his hand. Um, <laughs> 
that's how you know. That's that's it's a sign. Just like me right now. Am I? Just- yeah, exactly, exactly. Hello, happy Halloween. Glug glug glug. <laughs> um, uh, and um, what what was I saying? Oh yeah, Kevin McCarthy. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers is awesome. No, um, oh, and it's funny because it's established that Mitch, his dad, is an alcoholic and is possibly is sort of verbally abusive possibly more so um but the funny thing is he's verbally abusing his son about the fact that his son stole stuff from the museum so technically dad isn't too far off here because his son yeah, has know. done something illegal so so it's an well, it's an interesting sort of scene not only that but like you know so i'm in library science school right now with getting a degree with a concentration in archives and they were like destroying really oh, yes. valuable materials and mm-hmm. it upset me a little. I have to admit, you know, they're like, Hey, look at the scroll. Let's open it. Yeah. And they crack well, the, the wax seal off of it. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah. That's like, um, um, so, so yeah. So they all go to the party. It's a great party. It's in this beautiful house, this beautiful, huge, um, New Englandy house, epic three stories with like a huge balcony, uh, you know, on the second story and everyone's there and, and they're having a great time. And as everyone's assembling, we also see, um, I believe he's played by Mark Blankenfield, Feld, yes. who was in Jekyll and Hyde Together Again, which I have yes. on Blu-ray that I've <laughs> never watched did. because it was on a double feature with student bodies. Oh, I think Jekyll and Hyde must be better. There's oh, gosh. All right. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, All right. Well, this is um, – This might be our last is, podcast. This is this might be the last podcast. <laughs> um, I, I lost all uh, respect. Um, uh, and he plays the and he's also he was in Fridays the um, I forget which yeah. station tried to do the Saturday Night Live ripoff that Michael Richards was in too I think and um, Donna Pescow was she in that I could be wrong I, I could don't be know. horribly wrong but um, uh, anyway um, I'm just glad you said her name though and, <laughs> yes um, I like her. Uh, and the the ghoul basically, we see him just walking down the street, reading a newspaper or trying to read a newspaper, and he goes to the party. There's also sort of a dwarf ghoul who goes to the yes. party also, and they're at the party and they're just hanging out. They're eating popcorn, they're having a good time. At one point, the male ghoul is making out with the female ghoul, um, oh. and then uh, Lucinda shows up at the party, and things start to go badly. Uh, she puts the bite on her um, her great 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 granddaughter Melissa, and this sort of yeah. their their undead plague begins to spread. I have to say, so I won't play it because it's just a long clip of music. But uh, I did grab it. So Brad Fidel did the music. I think we said that earlier, and um, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's very nostalgic. The opening music, but the scene here, they're playing the Smiths. So the Smiths, how soon is now, is kind of thread through the film during the scenes where um, uh, Sherry Belafonte's character is like attacking people or whatever, and it's sort of spreading. And he mixed his own music, like serious, like the kind of music you expect to hear when somebody gets attacked, over the Smiths. How soon is now? Wow. And it's just, yeah. it's beautiful the way he did it. Yeah. And um, I just, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's so evocative the way they, it yeah. was because it's not obviously a very violent movie because it's made for television. Yes. But that scene is insane. It's yeah. just really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
she's in the wine cellar and Lucinda shows up and they have this sort of conversation and then she just kind of attacks her and there's red wine going over, which is, you know, the way they got to use blood without having blood. Yes. And, and it's just everywhere. And there's a struggle and the struggles in this movie um, are, they, they don't pull back from them. Like there's Mm -hmm. a couple deaths and you have to watch these kind of horrifying ends to these people. And it's what, it's such a weird it's not awkward at all. I mean, it's 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 a great film, but there's something so weird about the way it transitions from like this kind of really happy, almost superficial kind of throwback yeah. to something really dark. Yeah, there's there's it's it's funny because there, yeah, there there is definitely something going on as it goes along, and um, when I get back to the the story of um, uh, oh, what was her name? Why didn't I write down her name? Sandy, is it Sandy? Wait a minute, the fifties gal. Sandy, it's Sandy. Yes, her story is—I I love that plotline, but there is a dark, couple of dark moments behind it that kind of peek out. And um, uh, wh- where are we now? Oh, uh, so you see, um, uh, uh, the uh, Mary is at the party, and she's dressed. Um, she's kind of punk via new wave, like every punk person in the movie new year's evil sort of not quite punk but you know, <laughs> yeah a little of, bit a little of, bit by the way that's dd that's dd pfeiffer oh okay all right and um she and 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 mary is actually trying to go after another guy so phil basically leaves and so phil leaves the party as melissa and lucinda are I mean, they're they're doing it a la vampire style some of the time when they're transforming people, but I don't know yeah. that it's fully meant to be. I didn't I didn't feel that it was they were vampires. I just thought it was like right. if they're releasing all the demons, this is just the way they're converting people. Yeah, so like one by the virus. So one by one, they're sort of spreading this virus throughout the party, and Phil takes off, and we've seen uh, Sandy, the fifties gal, go to a home that was her home, and uh, it's not her home anymore. And uh, she runs into Phil, and um, uh, they sort of. Um, it's actually it's it's actually quite lovely because she sort of if I forget she's like sitting in like a gazebo in the town square or something, and he drives by her, and um, she and she said he says to her something like you know. Uh, more or less like do you want to go to the party and she says oh I don't want to be around people and he and and I, I, I should have written down the exact dialogue but it's more or less something along the lines of um um she he says to her she she wants to kind of be by herself or with Phil why not Phil's a cute guy um sure. and he sort of says you know like are you all right or something like that and she mentions oh I'm not going to commit suicide and then she sort of hints that Maybe she had done that. Right. It's sort of. Um, and basically what happens is, you know, the the moment she begins to talk to Phil, she brightens up. And they, they put the top down on his car, even though it's cold out. And she keeps making references like, let's go get a malt at the uh, soda shop. And Phil doesn't know what she's talking about. Let's go to Lookout Point. But the kids don't go to Lookout Point mm-hmm. anymore. And it's funny because it's sort of like it's, um, it's like it's like a romance that's like sped up. It's like super sped up. Um, and you find out later, obviously, why that is. Phil looks a little nonplus throughout it, but she's cute as heck. So he's he's kind of going with it. You know, you got to go with it. And um, and so they're they're kind of uh, at lookout point. I, what do you mean when you say nonplussed? 
Uh, well, he he has sort of a, a a a look on his face, sort of okay, yeah, look out point, we're gonna do it, and he just kind of he he, yeah, but he I doesn't. Think he's totally digging her. Oh oh no, he he's digging her, but he doesn't. I don't think he's understanding okay. a good portion of what I'll she's saying, and I think clarify. oh yes, well because you know as a guy I've had in the past I've had that happen once or twice where I've met gals you know and it's been like okay you know she wants to do this that or the other thing I'm not sure why but I like her so I'm gonna go along with this <laughs> and we're see how it goes and that's sort of maybe nonplus wasn't quite the right word but he has sort of um a sort of. Let let it ride. Let's see where this takes us. Let's see where the night let takes it us. Ride. Let it ride. And, well, and I mean, she, it's kind of true because she's sort of, his whole point is that he's shy with girls, right? But he's not like a yeah. shy person because he gets up and speaks in class and he yeah. has friends and he's not an outsider, but he can't communicate properly with the girl that he really likes, you know? Yeah. And so this Sandy shows up and then she sort of helps him sort of, uh, what's the word, get... Oh my God! Why can't some, get some 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 confidence? Some sort of um... that's the word I kept thinking. Consider it. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> she well, she, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of those things. I mean, like I was, I was very much like that myself. And this is in the middle of the plot breakdown. This is a bit of a tangent. I apologize, but the um, but that's that's sort of the way I was myself when I was when I was his age. You and know, then I was did very... a girl come back from the dead and help you out? Yes. Okay, cool. That's the right answer. Yes. Whew. Okay. Um, and, and, and they have a, they have a great moment where they're sitting in the car, lookout point and the tops back up. And she basically says, Hey, you know, let's go in the back seat. And he's like, he's got the look on his face. Like, you know, I'm who am I to say, let's not go in the back seat. And so they go in the back seat. And unfortunately <laughs> they get attacked by a werewolf. Oh crap. Unfortunately. But- well, that happens. And so, and then that's when things begin to escalate from that point on. They go to the police. The police don't believe them. Um, and there's actually a point where he begins to sort of learn from uh, from Sandy what is going on. I think I know what's going on here. That ritual, it worked. It was just some old piece of parchment wrapped up with a seal. What kind of a seal? Wax, with the imprint of Nathaniel Grindle's ring. Bill, listen, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. Yeah, go on. Okay. The dead are coming back to life in Pitchford Cove. I know, believe me, I know. And some of the dead, not all of them, are out to kill. What do you mean, not all of them? Well, some of them are just out to do things they never got to do while they're still alive, I guess. Like what? Like fall in love? Aw, Sandy, you break my heart. It's a sad story. That that is that that actually that um the first time I watched it, I I don't think I quite grasped the um uh the sort of import of what she was saying. But the second time, actually, I welled up a little bit right there. Aww. I was like, oh, Sandy, Aww. softy. Yeah, well, it happens. It happens. You know, you gotta yes. you got you gotta let all the emotions in when you're watching the movie. You know, you can't be I can't be the brick wall I normally am. <laughs> um, uh, and and yeah, so so it, it it escalates from there, and we learn um, how the the dead can be put back to rest, but it has to be done by midnight. Unfortunately, yeah, it kind of involves them going back to the middle of the party, where now everyone is almost um, been converted 
into evil. Um, And one of the interesting things about almost everyone being converted to evil is that when they play a song that Sherry Belafonte's character likes – well, actually, actually, let me take that (laughs) back real quick. They play a song that Melissa likes, and it's a song by the the, um, actress Sherry Belafonte Harper. And uh, Melissa knows it so well, she's able to lip sync to it and get (laughs) full on choreography. Thriller style. And here's, and it was, we can talk about this more afterwards, but they break into like a two, three minute long, full on, you know, you know, like thriller when Michael and his girlfriend are surrounded by the zombies. And then all of a sudden, Michael becomes a zombie. And instead of attacking, they break into dance. That's sort of what happens here it's much healthier um and um and sort of the mo- the movie at this point just moves towards trying to settle the dead again and going getting a ring off of Mitch's finger going to the cemetery sealing up the oh, parchment again you forgot to mention um there's so much stuff to talk about so first of all there's just throughout the party I just want to briefly mention that the teacher came as David Bowie Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, Which was incredible, and I loved it. And the guy who plays her date, who's death, is Ted King, who would go on to play Alcazar in General Hospital and was uh, oh, wow. had kind of built a cult reputation for himself on Charmed, but I can't remember the name of the character he played. Real handsome guy. Uh, it was his first film. Um, but uh, Mitch is death. is So, like, everybody dies. Mostly it happens at the party. but uh, Well, it does happen at the party, but Mitch's dad shows up, zombified, yeah. and he kills his own son. Mm-hmm. And he breaks his neck. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. yeah I mean, in so... the werewolf attacks, a guy who's watching the place where they stole the costumes and his death is brutal. And I mean, just, I feel like we should mention all of the scary bits are just really oh. like scary. I thought yes. settling. Yes. Settling. And the, and the, and the suspense really builds towards the end when they have to, they're being chased by all these demons from hell and they run into the crypt, Grenville's crypt. And then they're about to, they're about to finish, uh, seal the deal as it were. And they realize that they've left the matches in the car. So they have to head back out to the car with all the demons of hell rushing at them. And it's, um, it's really, it's really nicely done. It's, it's very suspenseful. It's, there are some, some moments of, of real, Real scariness and some some tender moments through the ending again. I mean, I I guess I wussed out, but um, the, the final minute or two, I had a little little tear in my eye, and I thought it was Aww. quite lovely. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna spoil this movie because I can't talk about okay. the movie without talking about the ending. So, mm. like, so briefly, I mean, are you done with your breakdown, or is there anything? Yes, yes. If you want to do the ending, please. Okay, well, so you know, if you if you look up this movie, you'll you'll see it has a pretty faithful following. Most people caught it at a certain impressionable age, and it's really stuck with them. Um, and something that's really interesting about the movie is that, uh, I mean, you think um, Lee Montgomery is like the only survivor because everybody's just gone by the end of the film, right? He has to reverse the curse, but at this point, the whole town has been taken over. Yes, and so it's basically like a ghost town. And that upset a lot of people, uh, understandably, <laughs> because it's yeah. like parents killing kids and there's no like redemption. Although some people believe that just because we don't see them at the very end, you know, everybody disappears at the end after he seals the scroll back up. Um, 
they assume that everybody's gone back to normal and will have like no memory of what happened. And I guess according to the original legend, which he's basically reliving, right? Because he yeah. states that nobody has any idea how his great, 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 whatever grandfather um, actually got rid of them. And so I think we're to assume that the town, because that town survived during that transition, mm -hmm. um, it would survive this one. So, but, and I, I kind of should have pointed it out at the beginning, and this is why I'm kicking myself for not having taken clips with the opening scene. So there's some really interesting things that happen in this movie that lead me to believe that this movie didn't actually happen, that it's all a fantasy in the protagonist's head. Oh, and I feel that way because at the very beginning, when he's talking to his dad, his dad just very casually mentions that a friend of theirs, a, f a family friend, has a niece coming into town mm -hmm. and that she's going to be there and he wants them to meet. So I had assumed that when he meets up with Sandy, that he was just going to he was just going to assume that it was the niece that he was supposed yes. to meet, but there's no reference again to her. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is a pivotal scene because the second he sees her, he has a fantasy yes. about going up to her and hugging her and, you know, kissing her, this girl he's never met. And so I think that that is put there because we're supposed to see that he's a guy who sort of lives in a fantasy world, although mm -hmm. they don't carry it through enough. Do you know what I mean? Cause that's the only scene yeah. where you, you know, it's an absolute fantasy. But if you watch the end very carefully, when Everybody disappears. He puts the top back up on the car and where the werewolf broke through the convertible top, it's oh, yeah. no longer there. It's a completely intact convertible top and his shirt is no longer ripped. Oh, yes. I did notice that. I thought. Yeah. And okay. so I actually think that the fantasy started when he saw her at the train tracks. Okay. Now, the only reason why that probably isn't right is because he's fantasizing stuff where he's not there. You know, mm -hmm. like all these scenes that he wouldn't have any knowledge of. And, and it, you know, I'm probably wrong. But that really struck me to the point that I was actually, I watched the movie on Saturday. And I went to bed and I woke up at three in the morning and I actually said, oh, my God. Eureka. He just, oh. he fantasized that, didn't he? And I almost woke my husband up. And I was wow. like, no, just wait till morning. Wait till morning. <laughs> Did you write it down? <laughs> I just knew I was going to remember it. I was like, I had a revelation. Just remember. So, so what I think is so interesting about the movie is that so we've got three different um, endings, depending on how you want to view it. Either it's just him, and that's it. The whole town's been destroyed, and it's a really dark, sad ending, which I think is how my husband originally saw it when he was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And um, or you think it's like the way he positions it in the classroom, where he talks about Grenville somehow gets rid of everybody, but somehow the town survives because they're obviously still there, right? Yeah. The relatives and still exist, or it just didn't happen at all. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so fascinating that wow. this movie yeah. has so many different avenues you could go down. And the thing is, is that you want an ending that works for you because it's, I think a movie um, it's a testament to how invested you get into the story and the characters that yes. you actually think past the final moments. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to try to tie it up in your brain, what could have happened. And, and um, it's just, I just love it. I think it's really fantastic. I, I think, um, I, I think if, if he's fantasizing it rather than dreaming it, I see no reason why he couldn't fantasize all the scenes that he's not in. Cause since yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's not a dream. It just seems, I, yeah, it just seems unlikely that he would have these sort of, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not unlikely, but like, I don't know that I have fantasies where like I'm seeing 
stuff happen at my friend's house. You know, I'm seeing my friend put eggs on his costume. Do you know what I mean? Well, is your is your friend LeVar Burton? <laughs> I wish. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it's I, I, you know, what's funny is that yesterday as I was watching it, I, because I watched it about three times in the past two weeks. And yesterday when I was watching, I said, okay, Dan, focus and see if you can see any sign of anyone alive in the town apart from him. And there is no sign of that. Right. Uh, except for Wolfman Jack, who's probably not oh, in the town. Funny. Um, oh, he might be in the town. He might be a local DJ. Um, uh, but but uh, yeah, it could be like Zombie Three or something, where he's actually a zombie doing the doing his callouts at the end. Oh, I'm not that's sure. Right? Oh my god. Um. But but it it was funny because my thought was that if the movie had gone another five minutes, I think we would have seen everyone alive, and the demons would have been back in their graves. Right. I I that's what I felt like. But I thought they ended on the emotional moment for Phil. Right. Rather than giving us the, um, sort of, also though you have to hope it ends that way because he, you know, his dad was dead and then tried to kill him. Yeah. And it's like, and he's just like, Oh, I met this girl and she was really cute. And now I'm in love. And he's not even like thinking about the whole fact that his family is dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's, he's, he's casual about it. Talk about nonplussed. It is. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. (laughs) Um, it, it is weird when, where really, when you draw to the end of it, and like there's that moment in, where they're in the car and they seal the the wax, uh, they seal off the 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 parchment, and there's a big di- like um uh effect, and everybody disappears, and it's just, and you're right, yeah. the werewolf scratches are gone, and everything's gone, and it's like, huh, wow, I need to watch it again, but I'm not going to watch I mean, it again I mean, now because we're no. in the middle of. <laughs> but I mean, it would make sense that the town would just res- resume the way it was before it happens, and then it would sort of make sense that his clothes in his car would be like that. Maybe it's something where, uh, yeah, like because um, he does it right before midnight, like almost at the stroke of midnight, it happens. Maybe everyone goes away, and then at midnight on All Saints Day, everyone returns, possibly. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Possibly. Yeah, I need huh. one more minute. Yeah, uh, it's they cheated us. Uh, Oh, that's that's a great theory. I really it was it was funny, yeah. Because as I got to the end of it, I thought, wow, like everyone is getting converted over here, and this isn't and like that's what's so dark yeah. about it. It's like there's no, there's nothing. It's like the not nobody for because you think it for a moment the teachers made it, yeah. But then you find out mm-hmm. she didn't, and yeah. it's really and you know when Sandy goes, that's it. Right, that's it for that town, and he's yeah. only what seventeen, right? Yeah, approximately. Yeah, like, that's, that's how. A lot. That's how old Sandy is, I believe, approximately. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's a lot to take in, you know. Yeah, that's. Wow, the whole. But the I think I think your. Yeah, I think your theory is probably the one that's. I'm assuming the director had in mind. I mean, it's just something that struck me, and I'm like really interested in like I don't know. Have you ever seen that movie Smooth Talk with Laura Dern? No, I haven't. Ugh, well, it's amazing, and um. <laughs> There's a lot of like, could it be a fantasy? But it's unlikely because of certain things in the in the movie. Because structurally, it it it's told like a regular film. I I can't think of the right words I want to use. Have you noticed that? I keep figuring I can't. I keep losing the right words. But oh, no, um, Amanda's uh, been she, very busy with school. Everybody, I so have been. She, so if you want to ask me about metadata, I might be able to help her, you. But her mind is a stuff. little fried right now. So 
Yes. So, but the, there's, the, there's these really interesting, I don't know if they're glitches in the art direction or whatever you want to call it, but like, or the uh, consistency in the film, the um, continuity is that like, you see Laura Dern's character. I think there's a point where she has shoes on and then she doesn't have shoes on. Okay. And, and I think, um, I watched that movie in a class recently that I took on film adaptations and um, a lot of the students who were very young got really stuck on some of the continuity errors and I was like well maybe it's a fantasy maybe that was intentional by the director who's a very well known Joyce Chopra well respected director uh-huh. who I don't think would make weird little glitches like that yeah. um, to to sort of and the story itself if you've ever read Joyce Carol Oates, Where Have You Going, Where oh, Have sure, You Been, yeah. which is oh, yes, the yes, I have, movie yeah. was adapted, you know, from, um, mm-hmm. then uh, it's got a very uh, fantasy-like feel to it. And as a matter of fact, and it's getting off subject, so I'll just do it really quick. Uh, I took a class years before we were, where we read that story, and somebody said it was actually a metaphor for anorexia. And if you oh. read it, it, it reads like a girl in some kind of weird state, haze. Because uh-huh. she hasn't been eating, and there's a really pivotal point in the short story where she, where her family is going to a barbecue, she doesn't go, like she's denying herself food, uh-huh. and and then this guy, this weird stranger, shows up, and it's like a dream, you know, like she can't get out of like a nightmare, and the movie kind of doesn't have the same beats in a lot of ways, but it carries that sort of feeling, that weird sort of fever dream quality uh-huh. to it, and um. I feel okay talking about this because I think it premiered on PBS. Okay. So (laughs) I don't know that it's a TV movie per se, but I know it had a big premiere on PBS. So, um, but anyway, uh, so I think uh, fantasy elements in films, it's really hard to call them. uh, But I think if you're willing to see them and you can agree with them to a certain point or maybe argue them to a certain point, then um, go for it. Yeah, I I think, um, and there is sort of, some of the things that I, I really liked about the midnight hour that, that struck out that I, that I jotted down notes about when I watched them uh, watch it again yesterday was, was stuff like, um, uh, you know, they have like um, the original in the midnight hour and the original version of bad moon rising. But when then, but then when Phil is driving after leaving the party, he's listening to sea of love. And it's clearly a cover of sea of love. It's not the original. And when Sandy hops off, hops off of the gazebo to come and talk to Phil, she actually says what I just kind of said out loud when I was watching it. Is that she says something like, "Is that a remake of the Sea of Love?" And I was like, "Yeah, that is a remake of the Sea of Love." <laughs> and and they they dance to um, "Devil or Angel" uh, when they they sort of dance in a parking lot together outside a movie theater, and um, mm-hmm. and it's great because when you see Sandy's gravestone at the end underneath her name and her years, it says she walks like an angel. So it was like, there's, there's your answer to the song from earlier. Devil or angel. She's an angel. And and the the movie is, it's funny. The movie is packed with so many. It's I, I, I had, I saw it years and years and years ago and didn't remember it at all when I sat down to watch it, but there's so much, there's a lot in it. It's 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 much it's much more than the three minute music video that occurs about yeah. seventy minutes into yeah. it would would lead you to believe. <laughs> and, it's, and it's um 
Uh, well, I think that's why it's it's maintained its popularity, though, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain movies that I think uh, kids watch and they see it a certain way and mm-hmm. then they grow older and then they start to see these like weird nuances or references, things that they wouldn't have gotten because they were too young. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's all this there's another element to the film. So it's kind of like you're watching a new film. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It, it evolves. Yeah. It's like. Um, yeah. What was it? Uh, I think it was the author John Barth said about Don Quixote, which was that you should read it when you're young, read it when you're middle age, and then read it when you're very old, because every time you read it, it's it's a different book. That story and, upset me. Oh, Don Quixote. Yeah, it upsets me because it's about a mentally ill person. It it is about a mentally ill person. Um, yeah. I I I kind of like it though, but um, I haven't done my middle age reading yet. <laughs> I read it a couple years ago. I didn't. I don't think I read the whole thing. I think I read a condensed version of it for a class I took, okay. and it it really upset me. I'm not even sure I finished it. Oh well, it is. It's yeah. It's a hefty. It's a hefty tone. Well, he's mentally ill, and it's like, he and he's running around just kind of rampant, and it's like, I don't know. It just affected me. I mean, you know, my parents worked in mental health for years too, so that's okay. Part of it. Okay. I'm so, I didn't mean I didn't mean to bring up topic, Don Quixote just, just uh, <laughs> in reference to Midnight Hour. Why'd you do um, that? No, oh, I have it down here. Mention Don Quixote with Midnight Hour. <laughs> uh, um, oh, and oh, oh, Midnight Hour also has great use of the word for for fans of 1980s words. Great use of the word bodacious. <laughs> Does it? Which is how the sister describes Phil's costume. When he comes down the steps and everyone sees it, she says, bodacious. So that's pretty awesome. It was. It was bodacious. It was a pretty cool costume. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, it was yeah, well he was, he was kind. Of, he was kind of doing his own thing. I always appreciate that. It was better than Vinny's. Definitely better than Vinny's because when Vinny shows up at the party – uh, Melissa makes him take the costume off. So he's just yeah, like in gross. a – he's got food like on jersey. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 oh, um, the, the, I possibly the, the, the last thing I've got here in my notes about the midnight hour is, um, that it is, it is very much in sort of the, the, um, set on a back lot kind of movie, sort of the way like the 1980, like the, the, the town square sequences are in like back to the future. And it's uh-huh. it sort of has like it sort of has that mid eighties sort of um uh, the movie actually I was thinking of that it reminded me of I uh, I've only seen bits of the Goonies, but it had sort of that the charm of that. It also had the charm of and I, I don't think a lot of people like this movie, but I do Return to the Living Dead Part Two. Oh, I it liked had, the one I saw it in like nineteen eighty seven, but I haven't yeah, seen it I, since then. I I saw it maybe a couple of years ago and it's it has sort of this fun kind of Jason Lives, Friday the 13th Part 6, has the mm-hmm. same feel, where it's sort of like it's a horror movie that you could show to people. You know, there were so many horror movies at that time period, you know, where it's like, well, I don't know if I want to show somebody this because it's it's either 280s or it's a little too weird or something like that. But there, <laughs> there's some 280s. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a brace of movies um, with Midnight Hour being one of them. That I sort of think are like, if you want to point to someone that like in the mid '80s, sort of fantastic horror, good times. 
if if you were an eighties kid, this is sort of they things look like this, you know, and it's set <laughs> it's set I wanna say I don't know where it was filmed, but I thought I recognized the gazebo town square as being on the Warner Brothers lot. Probably, yeah. I'm unsure because I because I was it looked like the same gazebo um when I was I was an extra on the last episode of Seinfeld. And were you really? Yeah, I, I um uh there there's a sequence in Seinfeld where they're like videotaping like a, a f uh where they go to like they go to like a New England town to get away from New York City and they end up like videotaping like like a fat guy being pushed around by New Englanders in front of a gazebo. And then they're like, it's, yeah, it's, I'm sure we've all seen the, the, the last episode of Seinfeld and we're probably disappointed by it. Um, but really in, in the episode, because I, I remember sitting with a whole bunch of my friends during the episode and I, I'm pretty sure this is where that gazebo, where the opening sequence, where, where not only where Sandy is sitting at the gazebo, but where the newspaper boy is winding through the streets. I'm pretty sure uh -huh. this is like a center street in in yeah it is the warner brothers lot in burbank and it, it was if if you watch the seinfeld the final episode when they're actually there at the beginning of the episode videotaping uh -huh. it you can't see me but and all my friends were completely disappointed and thought i was lying that i was on it sure i'm just but however in the when they show the video footage in court i am on it you can see now, me walking across the street past when, the... Um, in back. When was the last episode of Seinfeld? Uh, it aired uh, circa, I want to say, May of 98-ish. Oh, so you didn't have the mullet. The mullet was gone. Because oh. uh, the mullet was gone, yep. It was it was a shaved head, yep. Because I'll be and honest, what, I've never... I don't like Seinfeld, and I never saw the last episode. I... I, I would watch it, though, if you had the mullet. I I I watch Seinfeld only occasionally, but I did watch the last episode because they well, sure. they um they called it uh it was actually the the um extra agency it was like late night on a Friday they said hey can you be in can you uh be on an episode of a TV a new TV show called a tough nut to crack <laughs> I said tough nut to crack sure it was great because I got to the Warner Brothers lot at like six in the morning Saturday morning. And, and, you know, a van drove up and it was filled with people and the door opened up and I said, hello, is this for a tough nut to crack? And everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And then one guy in the back yelled, yeah, that's us. And so I got in and they said, it's the last episode of Seinfeld. And oh, we were like, oh, you must wow. be excited. That was pretty, it was pretty exciting. We were there all day. That's and one of I the was, most watched uh, shows in history, isn't it? The last episode of Seinfeld? I, I believe so. Yes. So I'll tell and, you, I'll tell you my last episode of Seinfeld story. Because it's not really my story, but I worked at a bookstore in LA at that time. And um, do you know who Edward Bunker is? I believe that's his name, and I'll feel bad if yeah. I'm wrong. He's in yeah, Reservoir that's... Dogs, right? And he's a novelist. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And he can't. So we arranged for him to come to our store to do a book signing. And our events coordinator accidentally scheduled it for the same night of Seinfeld's finale. Oh no! And nobody showed up. Not. I mean, it was like it was like a nuclear bomb had dropped. There was like, there's nobody <laughs> on the streets. You know what I mean? And there was yeah. nobody in the store. And Edward Bunker was sitting at this table in the computer section, which was the biggest section we had to put chairs and stuff. And uh -huh. my uh, events, not my, the events coordinator was sitting in the front talking to him. And 
I was shelving and he was just sitting there like waiting for somebody. And the events coordinator obviously felt really horrible. And he said, I'll tell you what, you, you and I will come up with another date and I will promote the hell out of it for you. And then they got a really huge crowd the second time around. And okay. I think it were bunker actually passed away not too long after that. Oh. So it was, it was really glad he got to do it. But um, yeah, it was like really hard to sit yeah. there and be like, Oh, nobody came to see. And he's oh. like really famous and a really good writer. Uh-huh. And Oh, it just broke my heart. And he's like, I'm sorry that I, was stupid enough to think that somebody would come out the same night Seinfeld's finale aired. Uh, He's like, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was specifically, it was all my, my improv friends. They were like, come on over. We're going to watch it. And I thought I've got a secret. And when it started, I was like, um, can I tell everyone I'm an extra in this look in the background. And they looked in the background and they were like, okay, Dan, please stop lying. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) But then when they showed the video footage in court, someone said, hey, there's Dan. And I was like, hey, there I am. It's a continuity See, error because I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not live, but I'm only in the video footage. But I, uh, I dated a guy who was in an episode of Grace Under Fire, and mm-hmm. he was also an extra in that show about the bike cops that used to air like on USA. Do you remember that show? Like oh. Blue something? Oh, maybe I do, actually. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, I started dating him around the time he was an extra in Grace Under Fire. And I got to see him on TV. And he was the first guy that I ever dated who was in a on television or in a movie. Uh-huh. And um, it was really exciting. Yeah. Why wouldn't that's it all. be? I mean, that, that's all. Yeah. And He's an extra. He's an extra, yeah, and I was uh, an extra. But I walked through, I'm convinced I walked by that gazebo where Sandy was sitting and they did all that other stuff in Midnight Hour. If only you'd known then. Oh, boy. And it's also, I think it's the town square that they use in Dukes of Hazard when they <laughs> when they show the town. Because there's, there's, a, there's a Christmas episode where they're like the Duke boys and someone else, Cletus, Festus, I don't know what the other characters are. <laughs> yeah, Festus is Bonanza, <laughs> Gunsmoke. right? Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Sorry, um, that's right. I did they're, that actually. They're all they're all dressed as Santa, and they're they're driving around that exact <laughs> same square. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know that square. That's well, that a square gazebo. was used a lot. Yeah, and it, the thing said. is, yeah, if 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 you if you face the other way, it looks like a New England town, so they could only face one way, whereas like the brick front buildings. It's it's also like where Charlie's Angels, and I think a lot of Murder She Wrote was filmed am i right like when 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 uh jessica fletcher would go to new york i think they would use that lot Mm -hmm. you know it would it it looked like a lot i didn't i'm I'm gonna tell one more extra story then we're gonna go back to the topic at hand and that (laughs) that was i was an extra on caroline in the city we were on a new york city street in the cbs studios in studio city and as we were in between takes suddenly jerry seinfeld on a bike rode down the middle of the street looking at all of us saying, what are you all doing on my street? Because it was the Seinfeld New York street. And he just drove by. He was kidding. but He was. Uh... He didn't say, he didn't say, hey, Dan, how have you been? Hey, <laughs> oh, I wish I had. This was before the finale. This was. Oh, okay. So Did you get to meet any of the cast members of Seinfeld? I, I kind of nodded at them as I passed them at one uh, point, but I unfortunately I did not. Because I was at, at a distance because they were all on the video camera. So. Newman used to shop at my store. What? And so did uh, George Costanza. 
Oh, wow. Um, I don't think I met either one of them, though, but I have a diehard crush on Jason Alexander. I'm not going to sure. lie. Sure, from the, and, from um, the burning on up. From yeah. the burning. He's adorable. Yeah. He's totally uh-huh. adorable. <laughs> and um, and so he used to come in and shop, and I never rung him up, but I'd see him walking around. And Newman used to, like, actually hang out at our store. Um oh. And he'd just sit there and like, I think one day he had his agent come with him because I remember he was having some kind of business talk while I was shelving. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, ooh, you're in debt again. <laughs> <laughs> and that awesome. to me, awesome. we'll see. So I'll just tell, since we're telling celebrity stories, I'll tell you the best celebrity story I have. And that's when Leonardo DiCaprio came in the store. Mm-hmm. And um, I always tell the story, but... And everybody was coming up to me. I, w- I remember I was shelving mysteries and somebody came up and they're like, Leonardo DiCaprio's in the store. He's upstairs or whatever. And so everybody's like freaking out. It was like right around Titanic. So, and, mm-hmm. um, and one of my coworkers bumped into him by accident and like, it was just chaos. And uh-huh. so I was dating a guy who worked there and he came up to me and he goes, Hey, guess who's in the store? And I went Leonardo DiCaprio and he goes, no, it's uh, Mr. Carlson from the Bob Newhart show. Oh, wow. And I went, you're joking. And he's like, no. And we actually like ran up the stairs, like past Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. And he was work. He was uh, shopping in the music section. And we we're like, we love you. And he was like, hi. And he was really nice. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, I I will say, and tying it back to Midnight Hour, I briefly met Sherry Belafonte yes, uh, back in us, 1997. I was working at. Oh, you're the mullet. Video. You're the mullet. Yeah, and I had the mullet. This was when I still had the mullet. I would be losing the mullet shortly, but I still had the mullet at that time, I believe. And it was um, Dave's video, which is in Studio City, Laurel Canyon, and um, uh, oh gosh, Ventura, Laurel Canyon, Ventura, basically in the same parking lot where they find a body in the movie New Year's Evil, which I mentioned earlier oh, in the podcast. Oh, that's so cool! I didn't know that. They have one point where they're like they find a body in a dumpster. And it's like we're at the corner of Laurel Canyon and Ventura, and I was like, "Oh, I worked there." Uh, we quickly, never. Find- if yes, if I could, if I could ever go back to LA, I want to go location scouting for all the New Year's Evil. Scene. Oh yeah, that would be I fun. Do. Okay, yeah. I'm just putting that out there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so I was in there one day and we used to get celebrities and such in there. And, um, yeah, one, one day I was at the sales counter cause we had a rental counter and a sales counter and I was at the sales counter and, uh, this was right after DVDs hit the market and Sherry, Bel- Sherry Belafonte came up and she was buying, I want to say she was probably buying laser discs of something. And I started to ring her up and I just started chatting with her, you know, and I said something like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm a fan and I believe I mentioned, you know, Midnight Hour and she's, oh, thank you. And that that's when – and the, the the big thing I remember is saying, yeah, and I recently watched the other film you were in with the one with the, the mummy, uh, Time Walker. Oh. And she just kind of looked up at me and she's like, oh, that one. And I was like, yeah, I had a good time. <laughs> Oh, good. And she was, she was like, you know, she was saying it, you know, not, not in an unhappy manner, but she was like, she just kind of rolled her eyes and was like, I would have loved to have asked her more about that. But, um, um yeah, par- she knows Ben Murphy. She, she worked in a movie with Ben Murphy. So that's something, you know, that's everything. But we that's, that's something. my whole story. That That's my whole story with that's her. Still, she that's, was, a, that's she, a good story though. She was very nice. And she, she, yeah, she didn't seem to like time Walker she, and uh, was she she's stunning. Like, oh Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, she's really beautiful. She's so beautiful. Um, And so uh, just to give a little background on this movie. So, you know, Sherry Belafonte was in her early 30s when she made uh, Midnight Hour, playing a 17-year-old. And there was a lot of, uh, not a lot, but she generated a little bit of press because um, 
because of that. She said that she didn't really, as an actress, of course, didn't see where the problem was, except she felt that her voice was too mature. But she said, like, acting like a 17-year-old and sort of embodying a 17-year-old wasn't a difficult thing for her as an actress to do. But she does have a kind of a mature, throaty, sexy yes. voice. Yeah. And she was slightly concerned about that. But what's interesting is she doesn't really alter it in the movie. And I don't think it detracts at all. As a matter of fact, I guess LeVar Burton would be a little older too. And yeah, well, um, yeah. how old was he? But he's ageless. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. He's ageless because he used to, when I used to work at the, one of the entertainment labor unions, he used to come in all the time and um, he, uh, he looks the same. Mm. He basically has not aged in since, since roots. I don't know yeah. how he does it, but um so they were both a little older, which is interesting because John and Lee, who played Sandy, and Lee Montgomery were very young. And you don't really notice any kind of gap in their age. Yeah. No, I, I didn't all. really – until I looked it up and thought, oh, my gosh, she's 30-ish. That's uh... Yeah. She, she was making Hotel at the time. She was actually doing both oh. uh, simultaneously. So she was pretty famous when she made Midnight Hour, and she might have been the draw – because I think Lee Montgomery hadn't done Girls Just Want to Have Fun yet, but he had um, – he was pretty established. You know, he was a child actor. He was in Burn Offerings. Yes. And he did um, Dead of Night, the Bobby segment, mm -hmm. was the most yes. famous uh, episode from that movie. And some other movies that are totally not sitting in my brain right now. But he was a very well-established actor, but I don't know that he was really famous. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just a kid you saw and stuff. And – um and then he left acting shortly after 1985. I think that his last film credit is 1988. Wow. And he sometimes composes music. He's not like hiding. You can find him. Um, mm -hmm. Somebody interviewed him not too long ago. And he, I think he's done music for video games and maybe some films. And um, he seems to be doing really well. His sister is uh, Belinda Montgomery. Oh, who wow. Some of you might remember from Man uh, from Duke Atlantis. Hauser. Okay, yeah, I'm starting with Doogie Hauser, sorry. That's oh, where I know, because that's where I first kind of learned who she was, but you're right. She was on Man from Atlantis. She was in a whole bunch of TV movies, a lot of really good ones, um, Women in Chains. She was in The Devil's Daughter with Shelley Winters. Um, she's a really lovely actor. She's actually she's actually an artist now. Um, oh, yeah. And I believe she has a website. I feel like you could Google her and go directly to her website and look at her art. It's pretty good. Um and John Lee actually, I think, quit acting not long after making this movie, too. But she did... Although I don't know that John Lee was ever like famous, famous. Um, she was a very popular young actress, and she still, because she was so beautiful, she's still really well remembered. Um, she was in a movie called Shattered Innocence, which is a very iconic '80s movie about the porn star Shauna Grant, who committed suicide. Well, yeah, she committed suicide when she was like 21, and she had made um, I don't know how many adult films at that point, but. Uh, enough that she was pretty famous in the adult world and she was a, a drug addict and had a lot of problems and she killed herself and they made this pretty good um tv movie that was really controversial when it came out because um her family didn't approve of it they sold the rights to her life and then saw the movie and then they were pretty upset and i think that they were upset because she's not portrayed as a victim in the movie mm-hmm and I think the parents don't want to, didn't want to like, she wasn't horrible in the film, but I mean, she was definitely like making decisions and, and she wasn't necessarily goaded in a lot of different ways that I think her parents were thinking she was to do the things that she did. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they were, they were pretty upset about it. And actually, I think you can Google Shauna Grant, Shattered Innocence, 
and People Magazine, and you can find the article. It's, re it's really interesting. So, But she dropped out of acting not too long after making this as well, and she's a sculptor now. Wow. So, so just a little, where are they now? Um, Macaulay Culkin is, I guess, apparently an, uh, an uncredited trick-or-treater. In the movie? Oh yeah, I, um, I tried to look for him. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's so many like people in the background that who knows, right? But yeah. supposedly he's in it. He has a credit on it now, like on IMDb, but there's obviously no credit in the mm -hmm. in the film. What's really interesting about this movie is that it got a lot of uh, pretty lukewarm reviews when it originally came out. Nobody, as far as critics, really liked it, um, and and one of them said it was actually to expect neither tricks nor treats. And basically, they just thought it was just something to put on the air and not really worth thinking about. So it's interesting that it's really developed into something more than that. It's yeah. definitely transcended, uh, probably because it's had both um, a home video a release on VHS and DVD. Mm -hmm. And although the DVD is out it's of print now and print. it's really hard to find. Yes, yes, yeah, I found really that out yesterday when I tried to. It's yeah. super hard to find. But yeah. um but I think the fact that it has been available in different kinds of home video markets has kind of helped keep it alive mm -hmm. in people's minds because they can revisit it. You know what I mean? And um, and so the director actually uh, wrote another movie with the same screenwriter of this film who's – what was his name again? Do you remember? Oh, it's, uh, it's Black, Bill Black. B-L-E-I-C-H. Like – so uh, and so, here's a piece of trivia that I didn't come up with. Um, I have to credit Lance from Kinder Trauma for finding this. It's it's pretty cool. So they directed this movie, but right before they made Midnight Hour, they directed another pretty good thriller that aired like six or seven months before this one called Deadly Messages with Kathleen Beller. Mm -hmm. And if you watch Midnight Hour when they're at the drive-in or the movie theater, if you look at the marquee, one of the movies listed is Deadly Messages. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yes, so, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. just a little piece of trivia. And um, uh -huh. Lance spotted that when he was watching the movie a couple of years ago, and he sent me still from it. Uh, oh. So that's really cool. So, yeah, it's a really self-referential movie. I mean, they obviously knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack Bander has also directed um, – he's mostly episodic, but he did direct some really, really good TV movies, including Deadly Messages. And he also directed High School USA, which is a really, really fun movie. It's Michael J. Fox. And so a couple months ago, I met Crispin Glover. And I had him sign my DVD of High School USA. And he was like, you know, this was a pretty good movie. And that's what he said about it. <laughs> and I agreed with him. I fully agree with him. I, I've, um, I haven't seen it in ages. Oh, so good. It's so good. It's just a lot of fun. And the and the writer, Bill Blech, um, he also wrote Smoky Mountain Christmas with Lee Majors and Dolly Parton. Therefore, okay. he's the greatest man who's ever lived. <laughs> uh, Smoky Mountain Christmas. Yeah, so good. Um, so also this movie showed up uh, in My Boyfriend's Back. Do you remember that movie from the early 90s? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apparently there's a scene. It's because it's kind of a similar movie, right? Where the mm -hmm. boyfriend, I guess, comes back from the dead. Yes. Is that yeah. right? And so um, I guess they're watching TV and Midnight Hour is actually playing in the background. Okay. I have to watch so. it again. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Probably since and it came out. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it. I think it was one of those movies where I was like, I don't know, where <laughs> comedies are hit and miss. Yeah. You know, and that one just, except I think Sean Cunningham produced it, right? That sounds right, but I'd have to, I'd have yeah, to look it I up. I feel like he did. I feel like he mm -hmm. did, but I don't know. Um, so what's really interesting is um, 
Apparently, some people say that Lifetime aired a longer version of Midnight Hour. I can't confirm that, but apparently some of the scenes are more violent. And they're longer. Like Mm -hmm. the scene where the um, dead rise apparently is a little longer than it was when it aired on network television. Um, Now, that's just a couple people saying that they remember it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah, they don't we, have any proof. Yeah, we know where that's going. We know. Be. Yeah, we know those memories. <laughs> we know those fan groups where people yeah. are positive that they've seen something, and it mm. must exist because Can't they remember it. from when they were eight. Yes, they just know yeah. it. So, um, I think that's it for yeah. my background. There's it's surprisingly for such a popular movie. There's not a whole. Oh, I did want to say that Sherry Belafonte in an interview said that she felt that this movie was a cross between American graffiti and thriller, which I thought was a pretty nice yeah. synopsis. Yeah, that works. Yeah, Wolfman Jack and uh, stopping for a uh, choreographed musical number with the undead, yeah. Well, you, sometimes you have to. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? there is it's, – it's, 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 it really is kind of a it, – it, it, at first glance, it looks like just a fluffy mid-'80s thing, but there's more going on there than meets the eye and ear. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I think it's it's a well-deserved cult item. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um and do you have anything else you want to say about it? Uh let me just check my notes. Um uh yes. Hmm, bodacious. I did write that down. <laughs> bodacious was said. Um uh I was going to yeah, there's there's a lovely moment where um uh SM plus PG which Sandy writes in lipstick on her grave after right. she vanishes. That brought a little tear to my eye too, but you know how, how I get. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. There's just um, besides, uh, da, 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 uh, the dead with unfinished. I do like, I do like the fact that the, um, that when the dead all come to life, they aren't all about killing people. I do like that. They're there as, as uh, Phil said in his history lesson, it's the dead with unfinished business. And then Sandy says that it's the dead wanting to do stuff they couldn't do in life. And okay. I think that's a charming, um, which, which made me, which uh, the, the, the second time I watched it justified the musical number. Cause I thought, Oh, there must've been a scene earlier where the Melissa <laughs> character mentions that she wants to sing and dance. But when I watch it a third time, I couldn't find that scene. Well, so, she did just uh, say ghouls just want to have fun. That's true. That is true. So that that could be. Oh yeah, and just to, of... and before I forget, also Dee Dee Pfeiffer, who we mentioned, she's Michelle Pfeiffer's sister, okay. and she had. I feel like no, that's not her. She she. I can't think of any movie <laughs> she's been in now. I almost said she was in the First Power, but that was Melanie Griffith's sister. Okay. So oh, forgive me. Um, yeah, there was a lot of siblings back in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, remember Joe Estevez? Is he still around? I love Joe Estevez. You know, I saw him He's once awesome. in person. Oh, I wow. went to a book signing or some kind of signing at Dark Delicacies, which is this. I know you know what it is, but for people yes. listening, it's a horror bookstore. And they have a lot of – so they sell a lot of books that are horror-related, like about film, but they also, it's mostly fiction books. And they, they host a lot of signings for movies and books and all that stuff. And they were having some kind of signing that Joe Estevez was at. And wow. we weren't going because Joe Estevez was there, but he was like the high point for me. Uh-huh. So – but we got there a little late. He was leaving. Oh. And he no. saw me. And I think he saw my face. I was like, oh, it's Joe Estevez. <laughs> and um, he was like, hi, how are you? And I was like, 
<laughs> so I got to talk to Joe Estevez for two Oh, seconds. that's awesome. Like, he's famous yeah. to me. Yeah, no, I just watched uh, Fatal Pulse the other day where he plays. Oh my the, god, uh, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, that's a good movie. Viet- well, it's not a the, really like, good movie, but it's it's yeah the woman gets her throat slit with the the, the vinyl the record. record and that's and there it has its charms the uh yeah it's it's just kind of forgettable though it's that's tricky it's 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 in that late 80s realm of slashers where some of yeah. them are absolutely wonderful but then others mm, you don't fully know what they were up to when they and they don't, feel, you don't <laughs> they feel, don't either you don't feel like yeah they knew either so yeah but um, but yeah, midnight hour. I'm looking at my notes, and I think we covered everything that okay. was in my notes. Um, uh, I was trying to like prolong this because I know Nate wants to join us. Yes, yes. And we. Have I mean, I could I home. could go if you want to talk for a minute or two. I could go check the children. Halloween, the one night of the year when witches, goblins, and other creatures of the beyond are permitted to roam the earth. I guess that 40 second clip wasn't long enough to get Nate on the line. It looks like he's not going to be able to make it. Oh. Um, one of his best friends' uh, wives had a baby. Mm-hmm. And so he's at the hospital. And that's not one of those things you can just leave and be like, I'm going to talk about horror movies on a podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to go. So uh, we're going to carry on without him. I know he's really bummed out because um, he's one of the biggest horror fans I know. And he really wanted oh, yes. to talk about what we're watching on TV. And the thing is he didn't give me a list because he wanted to talk about everything. And so I can't speak for Nate. Um, I will say he likes slasher. So I've got some slasher clips that we'll play and stuff like that. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to play a series of TV. I think there's one theatrical TV spot, but most of it's just for TV movies and or theatrical films that aired on television. And we'll just play a few of those. And then we'll start to talk about the season and things we like to watch. And um, some of these bumpers we heard. So enjoy. It's Dracula 79. The Prince of Darkness has returned to cast his spell upon the unwary. But the evil count will never rest in peace, for Kurt and Mary have sworn to end his immortal reign. Can goodness triumph, although Dracula rule the day? Watch Tuesday on NBC. They don't call them cliffhangers for nothing. Get out of here. I don't believe it! Yes, 
you can believe it. And now on NBC Saturday Night at the Movies, Kiss Meets the Phantom. Gary Coleman and Steve Allen host a Halloween classic, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Has anyone in here actually ever seen a ghost? The local school teacher doesn't believe in ghosts until... It was a headless horseman. Did you see him? A world premiere Halloween, Friday on NBC. The stairs and banisters are solid oak. The doors are inlaid with mahogany. What does it take to maintain a house of this size? Whether you buy or rent the Chessman house, whatever you do... John? Don't go into the attic. The Changeling, rated R. Tuesday, meet Mike and Betty, the average American couple with two kids and Lucky, the family dog. Only one thing is wrong. Some evil power has moved into my house. It's taken over my wife, my children. It's a Halloween you'll never forget. Devil Dog, the Hound of Hell, Tuesday at 9, 8 Central and Mountain, right after the paper chase. Friday, a Halloween special starring Paul Lynn. Turning myself on. And his special guests, Tim Conway, Florence Henderson, Donnie Marie Osmond, Pinky Tuscadero, and the incredible Kiss. Then, Rosemary's baby has come of age. Her birthday boy. Satan has come to reclaim his son. No! Due to mature subject matter, parental discretion is advised. Look what's happened to Rosemary's baby right after Paul Lynn. Friday, starting at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on ABC. She tried to ignore the strange happenings around her new house and the bizarre neighbors. <laughs> but when her husband got weird... You changed. It's me. It's Jerry. She had to look into it. And now, she may have gone too far. Pamela Sue Martin. We have to get off the island right away. Big Coven Sunday. There are people who think that Halloween is a kid's game. It isn't. The one thing that'll spoil a party is a visit by a ghost. I command you to be gone! And when my ghost is your dearly departed Uncle Lewis, I've come back to undo the curse. You will find yourself facing deadly traps <laughs> and twisted little demons. I've been waiting for you, Jack. Yes, it's a haunted Halloween on Friday the 13th, the series. Tonight at 11 on WXXA. What did you say? A ghost? You want me to believe that you accept this local voodoo? What do they do? Do you want to end up like me? Betty Davis in a two-part chiller. The dark secret of Harvest Home begins tonight after cliffhangers. The most baffling murder case of all time. Somebody tore the pieces in the streets! For 100 years, his identity has eluded us. Look for a man with two faces. Until new evidence comes to light. If this letter's real, then you are looking at his handwriting. One maniac's reign of terror. <laughs> where no one was safe. <laughs> and no one was above suspicion. Someone, somewhere, knows something. Not the chief surgeon, not the American actor, not the queen's psychic, and not even the royal family. What is the rumor? Is it true? CBS presents a motion picture event that names history's most gruesome killer. Michael Caine, Jane Seymour, Armanda Sunday. Next on a CBS miniseries presentation. It's two years she can't remember. Did she kill? Love. The Traitor Family. Donna Mills. Greg Evigan. The Lady Forgets. Tonight. Goblins. Werewolves. Vampires. They're not real. 
but he is a real nightmare. Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance. It's the night he came home. Halloween 2, Thursday at 8 on Channel 17. Parental discretion advised. So that's just a sampling of some of the promos that have aired throughout the years uh, to promote Halloween programming. Uh, a lot of really good stuff in there, some not good stuff, um, some really interesting <laughs> stuff. I do want to yes. point out that when they talk about Paulin's Halloween special, uh-huh. they introduce Roz Kelly as Pinky Tuscadero. They never they call do. her Roz Kelly, which which might be one of the reasons why she's a little bit of a not nice to people. Um, she's one of my favorite actresses, by the way. I just want to New Year's Eve again. This is yes, I know she has a not great reputation, but I idolize her. Um, also, the other thing that was really interesting uh, is during the Legend of Sleepy Hollow clip, uh, Gary Coleman and Steve Allen hosted it. And um, so movies used to be an event. We've talked about this before. And Halloween was a really big time for these films to uh, come out and to celebrate them and to promote them. And um, it was just a really great time for horror on television and not just movies. I mean, I'm sure I could have, if I wanted to, found a lot of episodic stuff. Uh, it seemed like every TV show uh, had a Halloween special. Whether or not it was scary was up to the show. But now I'm thinking of, do you remember, like, 90210 would have costume parties? Yes. And, and Roseanne um, used to have big annual yes. episodes. And- Reba did as well. And they really, like, embraced, uh, I mean, in fact, I think Reba might be the last of that mm. sort of a tradition that I can think of. I don't the watch si- a lot of modern si- TV. The Simpsons still does every year. They do the Treehouse of horror. Okay, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they keep it alive for us, but you don't see it as much anymore, if at all. And I think a lot of the television programming, it's not bad. Like some of the cable stations will play um, like their horror thons. Like I know AMC plays Halloween one through four, like 35,000 times. And TMC has pretty good stuff. I think IFC sometimes does some really interesting stuff. Um, but as far as network television goes, you don't really see it as much anymore. And I think that's really sad because I think we heard a lot of really great nuggets of television yes. Um, yes. that was celebrating what I, you know, my favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was a great time, not just for new movies but for revisiting old favorites. So, you know, we didn't really plan out how we were going to do the second segment. We just wanted to let it ride. Talk about, yeah. We, we thought about talking about movies. We, we like to watch during Halloween. The problem is finding a lot of sound bites, like TV clips for the actual movies. I was having a difficult time. So, but speaking of rediscovery, so when I saw, and I know I talked about this on the first podcast, so I'll just be brief. I saw This House Possessed when it originally aired in 1981. It was in February. And, yes. um, you know, and I loved it. And it was very close to my heart. But then TBS picked it up. And they played it every Halloween. And they played it at least once. But, you know, TBS had it was very big on rerunning. Like, they would get packages, I think. And then they would just mm-hmm. play those packages over and over again. And so um, I, I sort of rediscovered This House Possessed in the late eighties, early nineties, when we had cable around Halloween every year, dark night, of the scarecrow would, I remember that aired every year, like all the movies that are my favorite, my top three, <laughs> I probably were, except for fantasies, fantasies did rerun on TBS, but uh, I don't recall catching it on there ever, but I know for a fact it ran on there, but anyway, so they, they really took 
the raids over in late 80s and also the USA Network. Um, and I did look for some USA Network sound bites. The sound qualities were really bad, but you know, they were their whole game in the late 80s and early 90s was horror. So Halloween was like a you know a big time for them as well. And plus they were also they sort of took over making made for television movies when network TV wasn't doing it as much. And they didn't change a lot of it and they sort of took it over and they had some really wonderful programming as well. So um, it was just an era that I think if you grew up in that era, the the 70s and into the 80s, um, you got to experience a lot of really fantastic, not necessarily niche because it was made for a mass audience, mm -hmm. but niche in that it embraced something that was important to you if you really liked yeah. horror it was like the month that you, everybody catered to you mm -hmm. and yes. it was so much fun and um and now october of course i'm in school right now so we're like the last three years especially last year or so i'm in a master's program now when i was an undergrad i had a little bit more free time but uh, i've missed most of my halloweens in the last five or six years so i haven't even had a chance to really watch midnight hour and i watched a movie called Fleshburn. This weekend, I think those are the only two horror. Well, I'm lying. I'm going to go to Dismember the Alamo on Saturday. They're having a movie marathon, so oh, that's wonderful. where I'll get my horror. And I did see Hack uh, Lantern last night. Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh, on the big screen, and oh, it was the gosh. most amazing oh, thing I've ever seen. I love that movie. Hack Lantern's wonderful. Wow. Yeah, it was it was uh, one of my wildest dreams to see that in, uh, on the big screen. But in general, I don't get a chance to see as much mm -hmm. horror. And you know, so Dan and I do another podcast called Podcast Mania, and um, it bothered me listening to it, not their conversation. So they just recently did a conversation uh, or a podcast that's available now, which is called their deep cuts where they just sort of free fly and everything. And, um, they were talking about what they like to watch over Halloween and they, everybody there has been really dipping their feet in the water and like, I can't do that right now. And so listening to that podcast today at work, it really broke my heart a little because I was oh, like, oh, no. they're watching all these good movies and they're talking, you know, oh, we watch Halloween every year. I watch one through six and I'm like, oh, I just want to watch the first one, you oh. know? And so um, that's kind of the fun of this, this podcast and the podcast I do with Podcast Mania is that I kind of have a responsibility to watch movies <laughs> to do the podcast, right? Yeah. So I have to set some time aside every couple of weeks and watch a horror movie. So that's kind of been really nice for me to do that. But otherwise, I can't. So, you know, when it, when it, Halloween, like the last couple of Halloweens passed, I'm really thinking a lot about like what I used to watch. And mm -hmm. it was such a like every night was just something like before I rented movies, it seemed like I could just sit down and there was something on the television for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and my local channel really loved um, slashers. They uh, somehow was, picked up a lot of slashers. Was this in I, Vegas? Was this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it was KTT, KTVU. I can't remember. It was Channel 5. I think it's Fox now. Um, when they were just their own little station, they used to play like Funhouse. And I know they played Friday the 13th and Halloween. And it was really my first exposure to a lot of those movies. And they used to play Gargoyles a lot and um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. A lot of the classic uh, TV movies, Trilogy of Terror. And remember, we had a local horror host that used to show Trilogy of Terror at least once a year. And he would air the entire Zuni fetish doll segment without commercials. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they also showed Halloween every Halloween as well. So um, it was really exciting. It was just such a great time to like be a kid. Yeah.
and that was that was the time too. If uh, like myself, I'm I'm a big fan of Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. So Halloween was the beginning of the time when they would begin to. You would not only get all the Halloween, the scary movies, but you would get the blocks of like cartoons and Halloween specials. Right. Yes. You know, and then yes. that would go into Thanksgiving. There would be specials, and Christmas time there would be specials. So it was like for three months, you got all these wonderful specials and things. And um, I uh, and I may I say one thing real quick uh, for anyone listening who's a slasher fan. I know you were thinking the same thing I was during that Halloween 2 preview. You were thinking, hey, that's the music from Halloween 1. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Because the music from Halloween 2 is synthesizers. There's no piano in it. Oh. And so and so when I was listening to it, I thought it was a Halloween preview until they said Halloween 2. So we're on our game here. We're, we're, uh, we well, you it. are. I was just like, oh. But you know what? I'm so glad you brought up Halloween 2 because – um, so I, my first exposure to Halloween too was on television and I never, I didn't know that there was two different endings for years. I just mm -hmm. assumed it ended the way it ends in, uh, the TV version uh -huh. and it doesn't. And so when I finally like rented it as an adult or whatever, I was like, well, this isn't the movie. Like there's so many different <laughs> things in it. Yes. And you know, it kind of blew me away. I have to admit I prefer the TV edit. Um, oh. I, don't, I don't know that the TV edit is as cohesive, mm -hmm. but I like Lance Guest living at yeah. the end because he's Lance Guest. Sure. And <laughs> he deserves we all, everything good. We all, we, at the end of the day, we, we must all pick our own pop culture history. Our time, <laughs> the timeline that we choose. The timeline we choose must be the one we love. So, yes. Yeah. So, and, and that's the, that's the version I was always exposed to. So I was just, it was also the comfortable ending for me. So to see it kind of end the way it does with mm. just Jamie and yeah. it's just kind of like, Oh, I and don't I, know. I, they're all gone. It's like midnight hour. What happened? I didn't realize that the, the, the one nurse there was a uh, Pamela Susan Shoop. Yes. I, I, I never, I, I love her. She's in um three episodes of BJ and the Bear, the Christmas episode of BJ and the Bear for for heaven's sake, and she's in a great episode of Gemini Man. And it was like oh, when I watched in... it recently and she was in it, I was like, "Oh, wow, I like her boobies." I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that <laughs> All part. Right. She's, <laughs> sorry, in the, I... she's in the pilot for Magnum PI. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I've met her. Oh, wow. Um, she's I she's, I She's amazing. Yeah, she, she seems like I I she seems cool. I mean, just just from what I've read about her and such, it's well, like oh. piece of trivia. So I don't know if you've seen Empire of the Ants, but like, there's a guy yeah. in the movie. I think he plays her love interest, and they are like best friends now. Oh, that's cool. They, they got really close making the movie, and they stayed buddies like all these oh, years. And, that's awesome. Um, yeah, she's yeah she's totally cool. But so anyway, so yeah, so I never saw her topless either um, for years because I only ever saw the TV edit. Yes, yeah, same here. So, yep. And and there's a scene where uh, Lance Guest falls on the blood. I think that's different, right, Mrs. I always call that's... her Mrs. Teasley from Nine Hundred Two One Zero, but the nurse that's the head nurse. Uh -huh. She um she dies, I think, differently in the TV version. I think so. Yeah. I yeah. I well, I all I can say is that my remembrance of the first times I encountered Halloween one and two is that I think the first time the network showed Halloween. I don't know when that would have been. Nineteen eighty, maybe. It was nineteen eighty one. 
Night was it night? Okay, I remember yeah. we were in. We were visiting. It was right before my dad died, and we were visiting friends of his. My dad was a fireman, and we were visiting friends of ours. He, the guy, was also a fireman, and I remember sitting in a chair and. There was like we were all watching TV. It was something fun and and Halloween related. And then I was at mm, uh, seven or eight, and I was sitting in the chair. Um, and they showed a commercial for next up Halloween. And I, I had heard about Halloween, but I I was obviously frightened out of my mind. I, I there was no sure. way I was going to watch it. I, what I remember very vividly is. Something happened and everyone left the room when Halloween started. <laughs> it was just and you. And I was, I was the only one in the room. I don't think I made it past like, like uh, the two or three minutes. And I mean, well, d- forgive me if I'm wrong. The movie begins with the opening credits and then it goes to the the 15 years yeah, before. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I made it past the opening credits. Wait. Here's my question. Did you make it to the bumper? It's Halloween. The night he came home. When the deepest fears are made real. When the darkest nightmares come true. When the most courageous soul cowers in the face of evil. First time on TV, a modern horror classic from John Carpenter. Rambler's fresh advised to see contains elements of shock and suspense. And now, Halloween, you won't be watching alone. Do you remember that? There, there were four, <laughs> there were four TV moments in the early '80s that made me afraid of the dark until about 1987. One of them was until that your one. mullet came and saved you. Yes, until the mullet. Oh my god! One of them was that one. <laughs> Another one was, um, um, I want to say it was. I used to watch Siskel and Ebert uh, sneak previews mm-hmm. on PBS, and they reviewed all the slashers. They hated every sure. single one, but they reviewed sure. them. And there was one, I think it's the Unseen, but it could be oh. the Boogans, that involves a vent and like a gal being like a scarf. Or some, like she's, she's, yeah, she's pulled towards it. And they showed that scene on sneak previews and it terrified me. And then um, seeing the commercial for when they showed like on USA Network or something, they showed Friday the 13th where the hand comes up under the bed and grabs Kevin Bacon's forehead. Oh, yeah. That I didn't even have to see the, as far the arrow, I didn't have to see the arrow. As far as I knew, someone under your bed, what I used to do when I was a kid, because these things scared me so much, I had a lot of stuffed animals. Yes. And so what, so what I would do is I would place the, I would, I would insist that my bed be pushed into a corner so there were only two sides that were accessing the under the bed. And I would put all my stuffed animals around the perimeter of the bed. Under the theory that if something reached up and grabbed me, it would grab one of the stuffed animals. <laughs> 
You know what? And I did that until I did that. I did that until I was about fifteen. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, no, no, I did. I did that until I was like, uh, like eight or nine or something like that. But it was you know, like that. I saw Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and uh, Russell Todd gets his throat cut in it. You know, taken upside uh-huh. down, and Jason comes and cuts his throat. And I think for like a year or so after, because I'd have been like eight or nine, I used to put a stuffed animal under my chin and against my oh. neck as like a protection. Okay. And I couldn't go to sleep unless it was there because I was so afraid of I, that happening. And I actually went to a camp when I was like 10 and oh no. we used to, all the girls checked under their bed every night because yes. um, we didn't want Jason. And I remember one night it was so dark out. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Oh yes. And we were all I, walking through the woods and t- telling stories about Friday the 13th. Uh, I, well, I, in the bleeding skull book, I I dedicate one of my dedications is to my uncle Mike, and uh, a gal named Pam Adamski, and <laughs> it used to be Pam was in the same. I went to a, a Catholic school for first to eighth grade, and I was I knew all the slashers that came out because I was you know I could my dad taught me how to read when I was like two years old. So back in like 1975, I could read the newspaper fluently so by the time wow. i hit 1980 i was i would sit there in the morning reading the newspaper and i would read all the slasher film reviews and anything horror related if it was scary especially when halloween hit anything scary i would read it and but i couldn't watch it because i was a wuss i was scared <laughs> to watch all of it but pam Apparently, and I don't know if it's actually true now, I'd actually like to ask her because I'm friends with her on Facebook. She used to come in and she used to describe to me. She would say like, oh, last night uh, we went to see The Fog in the theater. I was like, oh, how was it? Okay, well, here's what happened. And she would tell me. And it was the same thing like I would go on – I would go camping with my Uncle Mike. And we and we'd be walking along, and I'd say, "So what happens in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two? Well, there's a guy with a wheelchair, and he gets hit in the head with um, uh, a machete, and there are two people in bed, and they get a, a, a spear driven through them." And I was I, I was just sitting there, going, "Oh my god, this is the craziest thing ever!" But I couldn't watch any of it, and it was like the 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 um, the the third thing that kept me from watching any of these super scary movies of the eighties, the slasher films was, um, the night it was right after my dad died. My dad died when I was eight. And, uh, so it was just my mom, my sister and myself. And one, it was a night where they showed, I don't know what, where, what it was on, but they showed it, uh, Halloween two on TV. And my, my mom and my sister had gone to bed. And so I was on the bottom floor of this, not that big a house, but big-ish house. I said, oh, I want to watch a few minutes of this. And they were like, okay, good night, Dan. And they turned out all the lights except for one little lamp next to me. And it was dark <laughs> out and Halloween 2 started. And I thought, okay, I couldn't make it past the opening credits of Halloween. But I'm, I'm older now. I'm 11, <laughs> possibly 12. I I I think I got about I got through the credits just barely. I got about 5 minutes into the movie and I was frozen 
in my seat. I don't know. I think a commercial came up. I, I wish I could remember what where they <laughs> showed it. But it was the only thing that saved me was that a commercial came on because I literally could not move because I thought, well, I'm dead. Michael Myers is going to come in my house and I'm I'm dead. He's just, because that like starts off with like the people in their houses just doing stuff and Michael keeps coming into houses and killing people yes. and stuff yes. and um and I was just like I remember just sitting there un literally unable to move. A commercial came on, I turned off the TV, turned off the lamp because I didn't want to waste electricity, ran upstairs set out the stuffed animals <laughs> and just sat in my bed. I don't think I slept a wink that night. And it was just like, and it, it was so weird because it's like, it, it wasn't until like late 1987 that I was able to properly watch the, the horror movies of the 1980s because right. I was, I was so scared and I was afraid of the dark. It wasn't until we moved into a new house and we had a cedar closet which was basically a closet in the basement where we put all our coats. And uh -huh. when you live when you live in the Northeast, you have a lot of coats for different yeah. times of the year. And what I did one day is I was home alone in the house. It was nighttime. And I forget what station it was. Oh, maybe it was USA. They were showing Kiss of the Tarantula, which is a 70s horror movie. And I wanted to watch it. And so I said, so what I did was I turned off all the lights in the house and I went into the cedar closet, which was pitch black, and I closed the door. And I sat there in this empty house, completely in darkness until I wasn't scared anymore. And then I came out and I watched Kiss of the Tarantula. And soon after that, I was able to watch these horror movies. But wow. until then... I, I, I was super, it was like, I would like USA would show, they do like a Friday the 13th marathon at Halloween, you know, it'd be like Friday the 13th, one, two, three. If you right. hung around for a year, they'd show four and da, da, da. And it was like, even though I knew they were going to cut away before the killing, I would still look away before the killing. It was like, I was still, sure. I was still so scared. And it was, it was, uh, it, it, and as, as Halloween drew up, I mean, one one of the things I told you is that uh, recently I rewatched um, Commander USA, who was uh -huh. who was who was the awesome host that the USA Network had in the eighties. He had a Halloween special in I forget when it was eighty five eighty six where he watched the Alligator People, and he had a bunch of um a bunch of like zombies and vampires and mummies come and visit him and his uh his hand puppet which was actually just like he drew on his hand yes and, and i i want to say right? that, yeah lefty it was lefty and at one point at one point lefty suddenly appears and lefty has a huge like um uh, like a 18th century wig on and is like in a in a long <laughs> gown and he's oh, and it's like Oh, Lefty, you're um, and Lefty says, "What did you say, Lefty? Let them eat cake." Oh, you're Marie Antoinette. What? I thought, what? <laughs> awesome, awesome. Oh my god, yeah. I, so I discovered a lot of horror movies on USA in the um late '80s, early '90s, because uh, I was in high school and then I was out of high school. I graduated in '89, and I was like. I had no friends, you know, I graduated, I was on pretty much on my own. And so uh, my weekends were pretty much just watching TV. And so somehow I discovered USA 
and they were just showing the best horror movies. Uh, they would start with Queen of the USA, and those would be pretty good, you know? They were pretty light. Like, I could sit through them and sort of appreciate them for what they were. Uh, but then they would, at uh, what was it, Saturday Nightmares? Saturday, yes. They, they showed, like, The Outing and The Unnameable, and it was all these, like, really weird movies, and they didn't really edit them. No. So no, you were getting, not. like, the full, not complete, but you were getting a lot of what, the movie had in it anyway. I'm sorry, my nose is starting running. Oh no, that's and, okay. Um, yeah, I remember Spookies seeing Spookies for the first time. Oh my god, that would have been crazy. Yeah, that's a crazy movie. And that's I think, and I, I mentioned this with the Saturday Nightmares. I know I mentioned this on Podcast Mania, but I'll mention it again that in Saturday Nightmares they used to also show short films sometimes, yes. and they showed there was one. Um, about a man like building a contraption that turned out to be a man-sized mouse trap. There was another oh, one. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it it was it was really cool because you just see him for like three minutes, like bending metal and stuff like that, and then suddenly, it, and and then he like picks up a big piece of something, and you're like, is that cheese? And then he sets <laughs> it down, and the camera pulls out, and he's done this enormous mouse trap. And uh, my favorite, um, which I definitely mentioned on Podcast Mania, so you listeners who are crossing over, I apologize for repeating the story, but they the first segment of a mid-80s Vincent Price host anthology called Escapes, they showed, and that's the one with the, uh, the guys fishing, and all of a sudden he uh-huh. sees an apple, he picks up the apple, he bites the apple, he screams, and all of a sudden there's a hook in his mouth, and a uh. big like fishing line rises up out of the water and you see him dragged into the water and something in the middle of this pond begins bubbling and that kind of thing. And then it all dies down and then another apple flies up onto the shore. And it was just, it was like they, <laughs> like they would show spookies and they would show the outing, which I haven't seen the outing in years. Oh um, God, I watch the outing all the time. Really? It's like Are a, you watching the outing I, yeah, now? I wish. I met the lead actress. Oh, not not oh, the look. teacher, but the young girl. She came. She's mm-hmm. coming to the bookstore I worked at. And one mm-hmm. day I was like, "Were you in the outing?" And she's like, oh. "Yes." <laughs> and um, so we kind of had this. She's beautiful, and mm-hmm. we had this really nice conversation. She went outside to smoke her ciggy, and she was just outside smoking. And I was doing my work, and she came back in, and she's like, "You totally made my day." Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she was really nice. Um, awesome. But I think that's the only movie she ever made, and that's too bad because I really liked her in it. Yeah, I I need to say I think that came out on, did that come out on Blu-ray recently? I'm on. Uh, say. it might have. I something. have a, came on something. I have a DVD of it. I think it was in a four pack. Mm. And I, and I also like, have what? Oh, I was gonna say I think it came out in like a double feature Scream Factory Blu-ray with something or other. It recently. might have. I'm not sure. It's hard for me to keep up with everything because not only am I a student, Same but here. I only work part time. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm sorry, my nose got all stepped up. I feel really. Oh no, don't don't nose. worry about it. Like, don't worry about it. It's it's getting it's she's getting full late. Full mucus. I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I, may um, I may I just say that the thought that there was a night in circa nineteen. Wait a minute, seven three seven four seven four five five six six seven. Circa Halloween seventy six or seventy seven, where you could watch the Paul Lind Halloween special, followed <laughs> yes. by look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby. Sounds yes. like the most exciting because. The Paul Lynn, that's one of those things that is now perennial in my house. Yes. Because about three years ago, I showed it to my wife, 
And then the next day we had friends over and we were like, you guys want to watch anything? And my wife said, you need to watch this. And we watched <laughs> Paul and Halloween. And we did that. Yeah. And the other perennial now is um, – I forget what it's called. The, the AKA is the Mud Monster. It's oh, the yeah. Thing World with, Beyond. Yes, the World Beyond with Gabriel Van Dusen, I think is his yeah, name. Granville Van Dusen. Gran, Granville Van Dusen. <gasps> it's Granville watch. Van Dusen. Don't forget. Oh well, no. Somewhere around <laughs> this desk, I, I'm sitting at this desk here, and I saw. Ah, crap! I was gonna read it uh, next time. My my well, wife, my oh, wife is a theater person, and she actually maybe like a year ago she said, "Oh, you'd like this," and she handed me it was like something from because she grew up in C- Connecticut, and it was something from a Connecticut theater. Where the hell is it? Um, a, something from a Connecticut theater where they were doing a new, uh, performing a new play, and one of the stars was Mr. Uh-huh. Van Dusen, and this was like a year oh. ago, a year or two this ago. This is like this is like such a great segue because I wanted to play this uh, VHS promo for Hotline starring Grandpa oh, Van yes. Dusen and Linda yeah. Carter. Oh, right? wonderful! Do it. Yes. Here we go. A crisis worker is being bugged by a crank caller whose clues lead to murder and a surprise visit. What do you want? Don't you know, my precious? I want you. Now the killer's got her number. Don't try and kill me, And they never say the movie title. So that was Hotline. Uh, came out in 1982. It stars Linda Carter. Uh, it's an October release. Um, it's easily, you know, my my top ten list would probably change, you know, daily. But it's uh-huh. it's up there with my favorite made-for-television movies. I've seen it like a dozen times. I think it's amazing. Um, Linda Carter plays a – now, have you seen this, Dan? Dan? Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. that scared I, I, me. I, I, I apologize. I put myself on mute for the, the thing, and then I was leaning over to pick up something. And uh, sorry, I lost you. Jo- Linda Carter. I heard a uh, door. Hotline. I heard a door shut, and I thought you were checking the children. They're, you know what? They're all asleep, I think. I mean, they, they look – they're dead tired, those kids. So they're just <laughs> – I think they're, they're, they're out. They look good. So – that's, you know, good. I, that's good to know. I that actually kind of scared me, I have to admit. <laughs> it's a Halloween show. You have to expect some yeah. scares. So, oh, Amanda? Um, Amanda? Seen, yeah. Amanda? Boo. <gasps> See? See? It these worked. Are, it worked. These are, that was a zinger, ladies and gentlemen. That was a zinger. Oh, my God. So good. Um, <laughs> so have you uh, have you seen Hotline? I wish I had. I, I'm sorry. I have not. Okay. So let me... Let me go briefly into it. Linda Carter plays a woman who's like a bartender who's going to art school. And she, uh, Granville Van Dusen is a psychiatrist and he sees her working in the bar one night and she is really good at dealing with people. So he says, Oh, you know, I have this hotline. You should come and volunteer. And so she's like, okay. And she shows up at the hotline and she starts getting calls from this guy who's been killing people in their town. And he's kind of giving her clues as to who he is. And um, and so the movie's kind of her trying to figure out who the killer is in this little idyllic uh, coastal town in California. 
and it's it's just a beautifully shot, uh, pretty creepy, uh, wowzer ending of a movie. And Grandpa Van Dusen's really good in it. I'm used to Grandpa Van Dusen playing kind of beleaguered characters. Uh huh. Like I'm thinking of this episode of Magnum he was on, which is funny because he did the episode like two weeks after Frank Converse was on, and to me they're kind of interchangeable. Uh-huh. And so. Um, so I thought it was funny that they were both on Magnum so close together, but Grandma Van Dusen is running this hotel and he hires Magnum to catch a cat burglar uh-huh. and, uh, and he's, and Magnum's kind of sucking at it and Grandma Van Dusen's <laughs> like screaming. He's like pulling out his hair and that's kind of how I always picture Grandma Van Dusen. And so, um, in this episode, in this movie hotline, he's a much more sedate, likable kind of character. And he still he's looks her the love same, interest. by the way. Yeah, it looks he's exactly still, the same when he's he beleaguered or not, right? Those big yes, eyes. Yes. Yeah. And um and so he's I'll her see. love interest. And if, uh so there's a romance. That's nice. Oh, I was gonna say if I can find that um that that play th- uh flyer thing, where the hell did it go? It was on this desk. I think I think <laughs> someone's okay. been it's in okay. here. I think someone's been in here. I was gonna say I can um I can scan it and send it to you. Yeah, I would love so to see, see that. I love Mr. Van Dusen. I love yeah. Mr. Van Dusen. Well, I Google him regularly, just so you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> I didn't know That's... that. You know what? You I, every every week, um, Amanda sends me a list of what she does and who she Googles, but um, <laughs> I don't have time to read it all the time because it does go on sometimes. But you do know right now I'm Googling Billy Moses. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. He was um, – uh, he was um, – on Battle of the Network Stars, he was one of Howard yes. Cosell's favorites. Him, oh, Scott Bayo, and a couple other yeah, like Billy Moses. He just goes crazy <laughs> for it. He just goes yeah, He was on a lot of Perry Masons as well. Like he oh. was uh he replaced William Katz's character. Okay. In the new Perry Masons. And um they gave him a love interest, I guess, towards the end, and it was Alexander Paul, but he doesn't need a love interest. He doesn't That's what know. I say. No, he stands alone like a Greek god. He, he kind of does. I have to admit, he kind of does. Um, <laughs> but that's getting off game. topic. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Halloween. I mean, Halloween. Is Hotline awesome. is. Oh. It's yes. a, oh. <laughs> Hotline is a movie I highly recommend everybody check out. It did get a VHS release. Um, if you Google VHS covers, you'll find one from England that's amazing. That you just have to see it. It's just really cool. Um, and that's a movie that I really enjoy watching. I don't know that I necessarily watch it around Halloween per se, but if it's around, I'm going to watch it. I, I can't think of a time I ever saw it sitting on my shelf and I didn't say, hey, I should put that on. I you, The um, the uh, the promos you ran uh, a few minutes ago, and, and I don't know if there's um, – there's a there are podcast awards, but for best montage of promos, I think you just <laughs> won it. That was, that was awesome. That stuff. was like – that was like there's um I, f- I forget uh there there was one of the video companies the video company back in the 80s that had maybe it was media they had the rights to the gates of hell funeral home boarding oh, house sure. and a bunch of others before one of a couple of their videos um they had like a 10 minute run of trailers that included boarding house and funeral home hot wire um, a Natasha Kinski film like For Your Love Only or something like that. And it was this 10-minute run of trailers that was one of the best like run of trailers you'd ever seen outside of like fans 
putting trailers right. together. Uh, and that little run of, of promos you had going reminded me of that. It was just oh, like, cool. I, I, it was, it was awesome. And yeah, I couldn't stop collecting oh. trailers. I had to like stop myself because I was like, Oh, I'm coming across a lot of really good stuff. <laughs> What's funny though, is like a lot of it isn't stuff I necessarily designate for Halloween viewing. Although the changeling, yes. Um, my oh, husband yeah. had never seen that movie. So a few years ago on a Halloween, I was like, we should really watch this baby. Yes. And, uh, he was like, Oh, that was so good. And so here in, in, uh, Austin, I've become friendly with this couple who are really nice, but like, they don't understand horror movies yeah, that at happens. all. And, um, we went to go see Nightmare on Elm Street together and they thought it was just goofy as hell. And I don't understand that kind of thought process. The special mm-hmm. effects are stupid. And, that's just their thing. But they were talking about like, oh, we should watch horror movies with you on Halloween. And I kind of always dread when people say that when I know they don't yes. like horror movies because that means I'm going to yeah. introduce them to something and they're going to make fun of it. But I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to show them the changeling. Mm. Yeah. But we're not, good... we're not going to be spending Halloween with them. So Okay. I was going to say, yeah, the cha- you know, uh, last year I, I actually showed – we actually showed around Halloween. Uh, we showed a friend Jason Lives, Friday the 13th Part oh, 6. Yeah, you were talking about that, that that's a kind yeah. of – Because I – I th- I think there's something about that where you say to them, this is a very 80s movie, and they go into it like that. And so Friday 13th Part 6 is one of those movies that I, I read um, – and this is off topic again, but um, that's part of the fun because we watch ho- Friday the 13th movies at Halloween. Um, right. Is that um, – uh, I read like Tom McLaughlin, the writer-director. He would do stuff like you know the scene where the woman is killed in the puddle. Um, you know, it, who's yeah, his, yeah, yeah, his, yeah, yeah, and she's like, uh, yeah, yeah, his his wife, his, it's his, mm-hmm. it's the director's wife, and and uh, Jason spears her in the puddle, and she's got the wallet in her hand, and you see the American Express card floating across yeah. the water, and he says in an interview in Crystal Lake Memories, he says, I put that in there specifically because I knew someone in the theater would yell out, "Don't leave home without it," and when <laughs> I went to see it in the theater. You saw it floating, and someone yelled it, and everyone laughed hysterically. And it was like it, – because it's one of those movies that I think, yeah, if you're going to show horror movies to people who really don't like them, you need to show horror movies that and are one step ahead, like an Evil Dead 2 or possibly a right. Jason Lives or so. You need to well, show I'm a movie I try to that, find something without humor though. I, I tend to go the opposite way. Headless eyes? And I try to – no, but but something like the changeling mm-hmm. that like were to show that like you can make really solid horror movies without a lot of stuff, and that there's that there are these like kind of movies that exist that are small but are worth discovering because they're actually really scary. Yeah, the I evil. would also put Paper House. Oh, the evil. Oh, so Paper good. House is great. Oh, Paper House and is maybe great. Pin. Oh yes, would, yeah. That would be on my list of like, so I'm going the opposite of you, which is really interesting. I like go for the deadly serious, you know what I mean? And if they can take subtitles, show them the eye, the original Hong Kong. Oh, I haven't seen that. That scared the doodles out of me, if you'll part my language. (laughs) The doodles, that's gross. (laughs) I don't even know what I mean. Um, uh, the uh, but the eye is like legitimately. Like and not only scary but beautifully structured, and um, awesome. and yeah. Uh, so I try, it, I try to go for that where I feel like there's sort of like an artistic appeal to it. Is it? Oh, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's it's always so tricky though when some because I like oh, having yeah. worked in a video store. You know, it's like, do, do do you watch horror movies? I say, oh yeah, I watch a lot of them. Well, give me something scary, and usually I would say no. Um, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go on your own because I I'm not going to bear that burden because that's too much. I would point at I, movies they have to give go, me yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I would point at movies and go, okay, you know, like this one, this one scared me, and I think this one is very good, and I like this one very much, and stuff like that. And, but I would qualify it with everyone gets scared in a different way. I mean, like, yeah. like I said, with like, you know, like I, I couldn't even watch previews for Friday the Thirteenth back in when I was seven because the moment the hand came out from underneath the bed, I was changing the channel. You know, I was. You know, I was switching over to Happy Days again, you know, syndication. You know? <laughs> yes. So I could get yeah. the Fonz to just, you know, because the Fonz, Jason, well, technically it wasn't Jason right there. Oh, my God. I'm glad that guy isn't on the phone with me right now because I just screwed up big time. Uh-oh. Like Friday the 13th you... trivia. Um, oh. But, uh, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's. I, what were we talking about? Jason, right? right, right yeah, about red video stores and recommending yes. movies. And, yeah, it's... I'm sorry, yeah, it's really stuffy. Oh, no. The, the, I feel the, like I'm uh, transforming. Are you... Yeah. <laughs> what are you transforming into? I want. I actually have... Right now, I've got Children of the Corn playing on the screen oh. next to me. You know, I've never That's... seen that the whole way. I haven't either, and I'm I'm only half watching it now, so I feel bad. I... How many Children of the Corn movies are there? Eight? I don't know. No. I don't know. Too many. It's to like count. Hellraiser. Yeah, there. Yeah. You know, may I say that? Um, first off, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park is one of the six or seven greatest movies of all time, alongside Buster Keaton's The General, um, Citizen Kane, <laughs> uh, and sure. I would say possibly Raging Bull. Um, possibly. Kiss Meets the possibly. Fa- Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. The version I have is the European widescreen version. Ooh. That's a different cut. It's uh uh-huh. eh, crap. Kiss Meets the my, Phantom, or I forget. My Phantom. copy, my copy is signed by Peter Chris. Your copy is better than my copy. My copy is <laughs> is uh, is one I bought. It's it's from it's um, I think the one thing about my, my copy is that um, I think the the version you have I think has like Hanna Barbera music. Yeah, yeah, probably. But my version it's a cheap has VHS. Okay, yeah, my version. All the in all the musical interludes, it's all songs from the Kiss solo albums that came out that same oh, year. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's actually pretty great. My my wife and I, and you know, my sweet wife, she's watched Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park with me probably eight <laughs> times, and it's like, I think I think she enjoys it. But you know, she's she's so lovely. She she um. I don't know that she'd admit if she didn't enjoy it. Well, um, do you know today is the 28th and it's actually the anniversary of its first airing from 1978? Wow. So it's 37, right? Without, I guess oh, that's what yeah. it would be. Yeah. It turned 37 tonight. Wow. That was a film I, 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 I remember renting that a few times when I was a kid in the mid eighties and watching that, but it wasn't until maybe five years ago that I actually properly got a copy at a uh, star child. Oh, so well, that's a pretty good sound effect. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. That, um, that kind of brought it home for me. That's uh, it's, it's such a, it's Gordon Hessler, correct? The, uh, correct. The yes. Yeah, it's he's very, the, very cool. film. It's, it's, um, it's a, 
Go ahead. Oh, I I, I was going to go off on on one of the other uh, promo things, but you you I'll go you for say... it. Well, I have oh. another promo I want to play. It's just my last promo, please, but it's please. kind of taking to take us a little bit off topic. So this is Amanda's uh, last promo. <laughs> Do you want to wait or go? No, please promo away. Okay, here we go. Tonight's movie is a dramatization of the kidnapping, torture, and sexual abuse of 16-year-old Tina Marie Risico by serial killer Christopher Wilder. Due to its mature theme, parental discretion is advised. On April 4th, 1984, it began. Why did you get Carl? He said he was going to kill her, but he didn't. Well, you know I've got this. What he did was worse. Get in my car. What really happened during those terror-filled days? Get another girl. Gerald McRaney in his first ABC motion picture for television. Based on a horrifying true story. Easy Prey. Next. I just want to briefly talk about this movie. I have not seen it. it I'm sorry, I'm all stuffed up now. It, she said uh, that's part of the fun, where the, the evening is, is, is going along. Yeah, I think, I think so. We're human, um, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we are. It's hard to believe, but we are. So it aired October 26, 1986. Um, I like that spot. I guess it was the intro or whatever. Um, because it starts off like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, you know, with that kind of voiceover, like, you know, I don't, I don't remember what he says, but something scary and it's very serious. And, um, and then it goes into like the actual movie. However, um, I sort of am familiar with the serial killer, uh, because he came through my town when I was a kid and there was a girl that went to a local high school and she did, she used to do fashion modeling at the malls and she was doing one of those like for spring wear this and she was doing one of those shows and he was there and he saw her and he kidnapped her and he killed her and they didn't find her body for several months and, and why it, I remember it so well is because the press was there you know the local newspaper was there and they took a photo of the audience and somebody the photographer caught the picture of the killer watching her on the runway and it was in the newspaper I, and I should see if I could find a copy oh, wow. of that online it's so upsetting. And so I feel like I've, I've wanted to see this movie for years because I, I'm pretty familiar with the story. And plus, I love uh-huh. Gerald McCreaney. But yes. at the same time, I don't know that I think it's appropriate that they aired it in October. Now, it might just be scheduling. They just didn't know where to put it. And it was an opening that seemed sure. good for the movie. But so close to Halloween, it almost felt like exploiting the aspect of it, the horror aspect of it with yeah. real life tragedy and I'm really conflicted by that and so when I listened to this promo I was like god this looks so good but then deep down I'm like I feel so bad about thinking it looks so good yeah. do you know what I mean was Simon and Simon on when this was on I don't know the... uh, if it was 87 or 86 I think so yeah I think okay. so wow so and that's him breaking out of you know that character but yeah and that's fine and i Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say he started like in was it Blood of Ghastly Horror or whatever in the late <laughs> 60s, early 70s, you know, that really sure. cheap, wonderfully cheap. That's where I first saw him and he was in super sleazy um, horror movies like, well, this is different from that. But um, it's sort of it's weird. I, I when you when you were talking about it, I thought because uh, the other day I listened I was listening to an album 
that had a cover of the theme from Simon and Simon on it. And oh. I was listening to it and it was, um, and, uh, and so it's like, wow, that's weird. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry. Please continue. So that's all I just wanted. So I saved that one because I just kind of wanted to have some commentary to it. Cause I think it's a really yeah. great trailer for our promotion yeah. for a movie. But at the same time, it's like, I feel kind of oogie about it, <laughs> but I love true crime. It's yeah. just that it's just that when they aired it, it just feels like inappropriate to me, you know? And so I think that's interesting. Plus this was after, so this would have been only a year after the midnight hour. So this is kind of where we're going because the eighties yeah. uh, really kind of the television movie changed a lot and they kind of left fictional horror behind and they picked up a lot of true crime yes. along the way. And that sort of ended up becoming the replacement for like a decade yeah. at least. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting transition. So that's all. Yeah. I just want to play it. That's what I was going to say. This one made you feel oogie. So that's uh, that's something. <laughs> it that's, is. What's the spelling on that? Is that two O's at the front? O O G I. I almost said oo oo o o g y g o o g y oogie. Okay, all right, all right. Oogie. That's how. It's that's like, how I'm it's spelling like, it. It's like it's like Ginchy from Midnight Hour. No, it's a real Ginchy yeah. ride you've got there. Yeah, it's pretty uh, much the exact same thing. Uh, the promos you played, I'm a big fan of TV shows that didn't run for very long. If you've been on my blog, some Polish American guy reviews things, you'll see that recently I just finished reviewing Gemini Man, which ran for a TV movie in five episodes, but they made six more episodes and I reviewed them all. Thank you. Thank you, France, for putting those out on DVD. <laughs> um, but twice... In the promos you played, there was reference to one of my favorite short-lived shows of 1979. No, it's not Super Train. I know. That's what you were thinking. <laughs> I have not watched Super Train. I would love to. I would That's love fine. to. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I would absolutely love to. This is the other show. This is uh, Kenneth Johnson's Cliffhangers. Oh, yeah, sure. Which By the way, somebody's in... lighting firecrackers outside my door. Oh. Is, is that, is that, are you all right? Yeah. Is everything okay? I'm fine. It's annoying, um, though. Did I, it last I'm, night okay, at I'm okay here. If you, if you listen carefully, kids are still asleep. Boy, they sleep like logs. I mean, they're they they're dead away when they sleep. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, Cliffhangers is uh, a Kenneth Johnson show. Kenneth Johnson, he was... Uh, bionic woman. Uh, he oh, was. Sure. He was not. He was not the bionic woman. Ken, I'm sorry. Any Kenneth Jensen? No, he was not. He. I think he created the character of the bionic woman. Um, and he did the Incredible Hulk. He did V. He did Shadow Chasers, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, which no one in America saw, although possibly your husband did. Yeah, my husband did. He's a big fan. Yes, that's two of us and all the people online who write fan fiction for Shadow Chasers, <laughs> which is one of the weirdest things ever. If you want to see why is pop culture awesome, because a show that ran for eight or nine episodes that nobody watched at the end of 1985, you can go online and type Shadow Chasers fan fiction and you can find over 50 stories that people have written over the last 30 years about this show. Life is good. Isn't it is pretty sweet. Um, What's the other reference? Uh, the uh, which which uh, 
Which you said there were two references, or was it both for cliffhangers? Oh, it, oh no, they were both for cliffhangers. It was Dracula oh. seventy nine, the yeah. Dracula seventy nine. That was a an abbreviation of. I, I reviewed one of these for the Bleeding Skull site. They basically took the ten cliff. Okay, Star Wars came <laughs> out. Okay, back in 1932. No, wait. Oh, um, gosh. Okay, it's getting Okay, <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> you wanted okay. to speed it up. I'm going to speed it up. Okay, um, uh, ser- serialized stories, telling stories in chapters. Star Wars begins with Chapter 4, A New Hope. So Cliffhangers, Kenneth Johnson's show, which premiered in 1979, um, it was an hour-long show. And there were three segments. One of them was Stop Susan Williams, starring Susan Anton. Then The Secret Empire, which was a Western that became science fiction. And then one called The Curse of Dracula with Michael... Nuri. Parks? Michael Nuri? Michael Nuri. No, yes. Okay, I got my my Michaels wrong now. I apologize. (laughs) Don't Um, ever mix up Michael Nuri and Michael Parks. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, Um... and so, but the great thing is that Kenneth Johnson began the show. Stop Susan Williams is episode chapter two. Secret yeah. Empire is chapter three. Secret uh, uh, Curse of Dracula is chapter six. So yeah, he, you began, he started them in the middle, yeah. Yes, in media res, um, as as I believe Hector says back in ancient Greece, he says you start in media res, um, uh, and so. Dracula 79, which you heard the promo for, is basically they took the 10, like 20 minute segments and they abbreviated them into two TV movies that they showed at the end of the 70s, start of the 80s. And I think Dracula 79 is one of them. That's not the title I remember, but. It's World of Dracula, isn't it? That's the, the World title of Dracula and the something else of Dracula. I think I've and only seen World of Dracula, which I I've, like quite a bit. The World of Dracula I reviewed on the Bleeding Skull site. I have not been able to find find the second one. However, I have copies of all 11 episodes of Cliffhangers. So I can actually watch the full thing. And if it's really good, folks, if you want to watch I a really... I think we ecstasy, have it. You probably do. If, 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 if your husband is a fan of Shadow Chasers, he's probably a fan of Cliffhangers. Yeah, he, oh, we both love Cliffhangers. Yeah, I watched it when it originally aired. Okay, but I don't yeah. remember the Dracula stuff. It's 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 all good. It's and I will say this: Cliffhangers gets better as it goes. Like all TV shows, if you judge it by the first episode, you're judging it wrong. You need to hang yeah, in there. And I agree. but the the problem is, it was it was on Tuesday night from eight eight p.m. to nine p.m. And anyone who knows your TV history knows what the number one and number three or four show in America was. Is that like Three's Company, Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days? Was that when it was running? Laverne, Shirley, and Happy Days. Yeah. Yep. They, they they did the same thing to him with Shadow Chasers. They put Shadow Chasers up against Cosby and Family Ties. and it was No the first, respect. First show that was destroyed by Cosby Show and Family Ties. Oh, my God. Um, Cosby destroyed so much. Yeah. Well, yes. That's uh, – that's, uh, <laughs> We've been talking That's for a while. That's my dig for that. the night. The good thing about the late 80s is that they all the other networks stopped imagining that they could beat Cosby Show and Family Ties or a different world. So they would let shows run for the full season. So Sledgehammer got a second season with Anne-Marie Martin from Prom Night and the Boogans. 
Um, and oh my god, that's f- right! I have a prom night clip. Oh, let's shh, shh. And then we're and then we're gonna have to probably go to feedback because I don't think I'm gonna last much longer. But okay, yeah, I'm oh. sorry. Yeah, we've been chatting. That's a while. okay. No, I know it's hard because we get caught up in. But here's here's a prom night TV spot that I really liked. It's the night you've been waiting for. Take care. That's special. He's back. A night you'll always remember. With the stuff memories are made of. It'll be beautiful. And we sing the last dance for you. (laughs) Jamie Lee Curtis and Leslie Nielsen. Prom Night. Wednesday at 8 on Channel 11. Yes. Wednesday at eight. Wow, midweek. I'm tuning in. I'm tuning in. Wow, that's that's great. And I will say to anyone who in the past has dismissed prom night, buy the Blu-ray that came out like a year or so ago. I have it. And I I remember not being a huge fan of prom night throughout the VHS years, and then the laser disc that came out. I remember watching them. With uh, I watched the Laserdisc with uh, Ariana, Ariana Albright. Oh sure. Um, we rented name it. Dropper. and We watched. It. Yes, a, a super name dropper because we we both were so excited to watch it because we love we wanted to love it, but the Laserdisc wasn't very good. The Blu-ray is the first really like it. It is. A, it's like Final Exam. It's a teen drama that happens to have a killer in it. Except it's good. Except, well, here's the thing, is that Amanda and I have some disagreements about slasher (laughs) films, and I believe Final Exam is one of the best um, around, uh, like uh, several others that I won't mention here, but... um, but, um, You're trying to say nobody thinks Prom Night's good, but all your friends think Final Exam is good? All all three of my friends, all my imaginary friends, we love (laughs) Final Exam. No, no. Uh, well, I was just using Final Exam as an example of uh, sure. sort of, yeah. But but Prom Night, yeah, Prom Night. Uh, it is like prom- Final Exam, but good. That's what you were trying to say. Yes, that's what okay, I was good. trying to say. <laughs> okay, as long as we got that settled. Yes. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Please, but I uh, think that either film, even though I'm not a big Final Exam fan, I think either one might make fun. Halloween I think. I think I don't know. I think Amanda should watch Final Exam again. No, I can't. <laughs> don't make me Life's too it. short. No, no, I won't. We won't make you. We won't make you. The uh, although the, I owe you after making you listen to three hours of Madonna, I think I owe you. I enjoyed the three hours. Most of the three hours of Madonna, I did enjoy. Most that. of it. That's good. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. That prom night promo is great because I I almost want to say that. I started to watch Prom Night on a network viewing and got scared away. I did. I did. I remember it. And and actually, this is a good segue. Then we'll go to feedback. But um, when I was this aired Prom Night on TV when I was like 10 or I guess I was still in grade school. So I was nine or 10 mm-hmm. and it aired on whatever channel it premiered on. And I only watched parts of it because it was too scary for me. And yes. I went to school the next day. And it, during show and tell, everybody told about Lou's decapitation scene. Oh, wow. Yeah, like everybody got up, and that was what they did for show and tell the next day. Because uh-huh. I think it aired What's, on a Sunday. Wow. Is that – that's so – yeah, because I, I remember all those times where I was too scared to watch something, and then I came into school the next day, and everyone had watched it. And Yeah, there's I, somebody had seen it. 
I remember I remember even being scared of student bodies when they showed it one oh, night. Oh, I was too. I was too. And, and it was I came in the pandemonium? next day. Pandemonium? Yeah, a pand Oh, yes. But, well, pandemonium I think I actually say this in the Bleeding Skull book, so if anyone's read it and you should have all read it, um <laughs> I say that ble- the pandemonium was the only one of the slasher parodies that was rated PG. So I was able to watch that one because, hey, it's rated PG. All the others were rated R. Right. And so Pandemonium, I made it through, although it scared me. Because some bits like the tooth, the toothbrush in the mouth with all the foam. And I the, know you're watching, Mister DK. Yeah, and and the gal getting um, drowned in the milk bath. Oh yeah, candy but area. Then, yeah. But but then Pandemonium also has the House of Bad Pies. Where they yes, go to it does. Eat the, which s- makes me laugh hysterically whenever I see it. Student Bodies is still my favorite of those. I have purchased Student Bodies on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, and then again on Blu-ray. I love Student Bodies. I th- I know someone who may not like Student Bodies as much as I do, but maybe you shouldn't always listen to her opinions. Maybe not. But Pandemonium is <laughs> better. Come to wow, that's um. This is going to be. This is not made for TV, but we're going to have to. Yeah, we're going to have to duke it out after the show. We're going to have to discuss discuss our slasher so, parodies. But but I'll get to feedback unless you have some final words about Halloween TV. Um. Uh, let me let me look. Um. You know. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> I thought I might. I thought I might have a revelation all of a sudden, but I mean. I right now there if if there's a show called there was a show called Psych that aired on the USA sure. network and my wife and I were huge fans of it over the course of 6 months we tore through the entire show we just started watching it again um we went away this past weekend on our 10th wedding anniversary and one of the nights we actually stopped our revelry and we watched an episode of Psych <laughs> And and the thing about Psych is that Psych does a lot of great, not specifically Halloween, although they do have a couple Halloween episodes, I believe. Um, but they do a lot of wonderful horror-related episodes. There's there's a Friday the Thirteenth style yeah, episode. I remember there's that. There's a one. Night, Nightmare on Elm Street one. There's one with a sorority house and like a killer in a sorority house. Um, there's a, like a three-parter that ends several seasons about a psycho killer, serial killer played by Ali Sheedy, which is really creepy. And so it's not quite Halloween, but the entire show is on Netflix and you can hop out there and there isn't much, um, there's not a lot of continuity, so you don't have to watch all the episodes. I just jump in and that's so good. You can hop in. So I, I would almost say. If if you want to watch some fun, modern-ish Halloween episodes that are scary but also funny as hell, you might try Psych. Just scan through, and you'll see a lot of the titles are parodies of um, uh, titles of movies and things. So I, I would say give it a try, and there's a great – and Carrie El- Elwes, Elwes um, from Robin Hood Men in Tights it's and Elwes. such. He, yeah, Elwes. He plays a strange um, uh, art thief continental art thief which is also a very wonderful run of episodes but yeah if you want to do a more modern not quite halloween thing but when halloween hits check out netflix check out psych you'll find three or four episodes that will 
they will entertain you. I assure you, they will. I agree. I agree. I've always seen a little bit of psych, but it's quite good. Mm. So yeah, that's so, me and Halloween. It's fun. Yay! Okay. Hey. Um, I'm just gonna read some feedback real quick, and then I'm gonna give a, your contact your our contact information, <laughs> and then I'll say what the next um, movie double feature is gonna be, and then we can go. Sorry, it's getting late here. I'm it, yeah. two hours ahead of Dan, and I'm starting to lose uh stuff okay lose everything so lose everything and i'm getting really stuffed up and i'm embarrassed about it so i'm starting to get stuffed up a little too is that is that is it been a long week or is there something in the air because i just realized i'm a little stuffed too not as bad as you (laughs) but i i have two hours earlier than you my wife's at a play rehearsal right now hello i'll keep everyone posted on the new play my wife's in Uh, Um, so so here we go. Uh, so we heard again from Elizabeth Irwin. She said, I'm woefully behind on podcasts, but I finally caught the Craven one. Y'all did. Oh, I read this wrong. But I finally caught the Craven one. Y'all did and loved it. So much great analysis, and I loved all the different perspectives. Thanks so much for the super sweet shout-out, too, because I mentioned her. So she has a website. She's it's part of a website called Horror Homeroom. And yes. you can visit them at horrorhomeroom.com, or you can follow their Twitter at horror, at horror Homeroom, or you can follow uh, Elizabeth at... Lizzie Irwin, which is at L-I-Z-Z-Y-E-R-W-I-N. And um, Joe, Caffeinated Joe, who I also know on Twitter, said, uh, can't wait, finished episode number two the other day and really enjoyed it. Um, You can find him on Twitter as well, at Wings1295. And he has a Tumblr, which is just uh, wings1295.tumblr.com. It's a lot of really cool images. And then the third what? Oh, does, sorry, doesn't he have I'm, – I'm sorry. Hey, Sniffly. Um, does, yeah. He has a um, – he has a uh, – doesn't he have a uh, Halloween Tumblr, I think, and like um, – Oh, I, I don't wanna, know. I'm going to check it out because I want to say Caffeinated Joe is the guy. He might, he may have – Caffeinated Joe, if I've got this wrong, I apologize. But uh, I'm going to look it up. I want to say he has a Halloween-related Tumblr and a Christmas-related Tumblr. I'm going to look him up. Uh, he and, uh, might. And on episode five, I will come back and I will either proclaim my brilliance or apologize <laughs> profusely. Or maybe you've given him an idea. Yeah. Well, yes, Joe, you're. We love your comments, so you're. you're good he's guy. a cool guy. I really like him, and he's yeah. into everything. He's really fun. Yeah. Also, yeah. Um, I missed this last time, but my friend Bill Hollister who I met on a horror web group uh, years ago and we're friends on Facebook now. He left uh, a couple of comments that I just wanted to read on my Facebook. So he wrote, um, hope it is going well for you, Amanda. You are choosing to begin and end it. Oh, you are choosing to begin and end it perfectly. I'm going to leave more detailed comments later, but I listened to the first two episodes of the podcast and absolutely loved it. And then um, he came back a little later uh, we were talking on Facebook and he wrote, after listening last night, I found Night Visions and it's the only made for TV Western <laughs> movie direct- directed that I have not seen. I loved it. The movie is great. Next on the list is Lady Killers. That sounds like all kinds of awesome. You, Dan and Nate make a fantastic podcast trio. And I have to agree. I feel like I, re- no offense to Dan. I think he's great. And I think we're doing pretty good, but I miss Nate being here. I do miss Nate um, too. Yeah. He's- yeah, he's definitely missed, and I think he adds a lot to the show. So we're hoping he can come back next week. So let me give you our contact information real quick, and then we'll show. And then we'll announce what Nate will hopefully be here for. So um, if you want to write to us, um, 
you can visit my website or my I'm sorry, our website. Uh, it's just a TV Mayhem podcast. Um, I don't know what these notes are. I can't even read them. Okay. TV Mayhem podcast.wordpress.com. Uh, you can email us at TV Mayhem podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at TV Mayhem podcast, or you can uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, just put made for TV Mayhem show into the little search engine and it should come up. Now there's two Facebook pages. There's my regular Facebook page, which is just made for TV Mayhem. And then there's the made for TV Mayhem show. Um, they both have different content. So I encourage you to uh, visit both of them. Also, recently on my blog, I just upload, uh, which is madefortvmayhem.com. I just did, uh, I did, I think I got them all. Every movie that came out in the 70s in October that was geared towards Halloween. It was a three-part retrospective, and I finally posted the last part of it. And that's up there. And do you have anything going on in your blog? Um, I just fin. I, I, I'm actually at the very end of my Gemini man coverage. I, I've got one more post to do, and then I have to decide what to do next. I kind of like to do BJ and the bear season two, but that's a full 21 episode season plus a two, a three part crossover with Sheriff Lobo. And I almost, I, I, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be great. Um, but at the same time, I, I like doing the shorter seasons, so I might do something else like a Shadow Chasers or um, Cliffhangers or something like that. I, I'm not sure yet I've, because I've got one more um, uh, sort of addenda, errata, the, both of those words <laughs> might be wrong, for Gemini Man. And there's one more Gemini Man bit that I have to, uh, you've got some important decisions to make and post about it hurts. It hurts. And you may I say re- real quick, if you go on YouTube and you type in Dan Schneider, Schneider, like oh, time, um, and you type in golden age of TV, um, you will get a approximately two and a half hour long, um, uh, discussion with a great gentleman named Mitch Hadley, 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 yes, uh, who has who has a a blog called it's about uh, it's about TV, which is a wonderful blog, and yes. you will also see two other um, happy clowns on there, uh, myself and a young lady named Amanda, and we discuss yes. the golden age of TV for about two and a half hours, and it's basically us valiantly discussing what is it, 67 or so years of television in two and a half hours and doing yeah. a decent job I, of it, I it think. It was. Uh, I will say, though, I feel like we didn't talk about a lot of the shows I was hoping we'd talk about, like Charlie's Angels, and we did a little Love Boat. Yeah, um, yeah. Because he definitely, his what he wanted to talk about was really historically valuable and important and pretty yes. much like backed by critics as being historically valuable and important. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like the stuff that's considered low culture, you know? Yes, me, kind of yeah, me too, me too, yeah. And so, so I, I kind of wish we'd done more of that, but it was really fun and it was a really interesting conversation and I keep and forgetting I- to promote it, so thank you. I think, yeah, I think, I think I, I've listened to sort of bits and bobs of it, and we're quite charming in it. And um, uh, and Mitch looks cool. Amanda's lovely, and I, you get to see the sun rise up around my big <laughs> fat head because when oh, okay. I started, I'm on the West Coast, so it was still dark when we. Yeah, started. it was really early for you. Yes, and so you get to see the sun rise up around me, which um, 
my wife enjoys, you know, and I'm sure my mother does. Sure. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a good time. But I, th- I think Rich, it's, it's. Rich looked good. He was all dressed up. Yeah. I, I, behind him. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because, like, I, um, I thought, should I put up something behind me like that? But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I think, um, I was working the day before, so I just simply didn't have time. So, yeah, it was, it's, it was tough, but it was fun. It's a, it's an interesting discussion about the golden age of TV and love. Luckily enough, we all have a different opinion at the end of it. We do. About the I don't golden think Dan cared that about that at the end though. He did. He did He's not. Like, we, all the, <laughs> we all agree. Yeah, we all agree. We all agree. Although. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really cool. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun doing it. So please. Yeah, it was. And I thank you for bringing that up. Cause I keep meaning to post something about it. And then I forget. Cause I'm just so over my head with school. Um, yeah. but in a couple of weeks, we'll be coming back and we'll be back to our double features. I'm really, really, really excited about this one. Um, because, uh, one of them is a film that I've been wanting to revisit for a long time. And the other one is a bona fide classic and one of my all time favorite movies. So we're going to be talking about bad Ronald, the great bad Ronald starring Scott Jacoby. Yes. Um, one of my all time favorite movies. I've seen it a thousand times. I've read the book. Um, I've analyzed the crap out of it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> and we're going to double feature it with a movie called Through Naked Eyes, which is a lesser known John Llewellyn Moxie joint from the 80s <laughs> with Pam Dauber and David Soule. And it's uh, and we're basing this on the theme of voyeurism. So if you want to watch along, um, Bad Ronald is available to Warner Archives. And you can watch Through Naked Eyes right now on Amazon Instant Video for free if you have a Prime account. And um, that's great because that's it's kind of a rare movie. So it was nice to see that they have it and it's streaming. And um, we'll be back hopefully in a couple weeks. I'll know dates better after we talk to Nate. He swears he'll be back for the next one. Yes. Um, and we hope you enjoyed this. And please feel free to drop us lines about anything. I know please, we need yes. singers. We're working on it. Yeah. I think we had a couple singer. in here. But uh... – you know, you start talking about Halloween and it, it gets out of hand, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, okay. And so that's going to be it. So yes. you want to say good night? Yeah. Good night, everyone. And, uh, I, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. And please, happy Halloween. Yeah.